Welcome back to the Ride Boundless Podcast with me, Robert Valderrama. On this episode, we get to speak to Jace Hudson from the Fast Life Garage. Jace is originally from Texas. He does airbrushing graphics on helmets, motorcycles, and much more. Does rides all across the country. And he's also the host of the Fast Life Podcast. On this episode, we do a crossover. So this podcast and his podcast will be playing the same thing at the same time. So you can listen to either way or either one. Let's start now. Episode, how many now? This will be 141. 141, and you started in 2019? Uh, we started in January of 2018. 18. We actually did a couple. Yeah, we did a couple in December. They were actually pretty good, but we ended up having like shitty audio. Uh, we, one of the computers crashed. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? The worst case Recording. scenario, everything. Exactly. So, uh, but it's definitely been a learning curve. How, how did you, what did you, you start know? off with? Yetis or just computers or cell phones? Uh, man, I started off with like an Amazon, like cheap ass, like $40 microphone yeah, yeah. Uh, stand, the whole kit. I just bought four of them. And then my brother, you know, he was like kind of into making music. So he already had a soundboard. Right. Um, but then at the same time, whenever I started doing it, they didn't like this roadcaster wasn't out there. Uh, I think the Zoom H4n, which is what I've been using until I got this, you know, was out there. And um, you just kind of, uh, I had to figure that shit out on the fly, man, because I'm not audio. I'm not, I'm computer savvy, but not this kind of computer savvy. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, no, and luckily Roadcaster now has made it much more yeah. easier for people to tap into this, especially people that don't have the experience of messing with audio equipment or edits, et cetera. Yeah, and then the the name. Where, I, where did the name come from? Oh, the fast. Well, the shop. Uh, my shop's always been called the Fast Life Garage, and um, just for branding pur- purposes, instead of having fifty different names for all the shit I'm into, by keeping everything Fast Life, whether it's Fast Life Podcast, Fast Life Garage, or our Fast Life Campout, like everything we do, it's just easier to kind of keep the branding all together. It's very smart. And um, yeah, and like I said, man, like we're you know we're just kind of dudes hanging out in the garage that work on bikes and shit too so we want to keep it as simple as possible so what so you now, know, now we understand the podcast aspect of it tell us about the garage your your you know i've seen all the people you've talked to i've seen everything else but how did your business start was it a passion did you work for another company uh did you just wrench on your own bikes and friends bikes and then decided to open up a shop what, what, what's the story there uh, i mean it's a pretty long one but uh the the sh- yeah the i grew up in a paint and body shop as a kid um, but I never wanted to do it. It just wasn't really the, uh, you know, when, when your dad does it and your grandfather does it, you kind of want to be the one to get away from it. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up falling in just because of growing up in the body shop. I ended up fell into a, a job when I was about 21, uh, just wet sanding motorcycle parts for a shop that did custom paint. And, um, doing that, I just fell in love with it. Cause I grew up as really into art and then paint work was always like repairing a fender or something on a car. I never looked at it like it could be art. You know what I'm saying? And so pretty much in 2004, man, I fell in love with painting again and motorcycles at the same time, because that's what we were working on. So, you know, you fast forward, what, 16 years now, I I guess. And, uh, 
you know, I'm just, I'm kind of a hustler mentality, man. So I've had a shop, you know, off and on ever since 2005, you know, I've, I've built bikes, I've, I've painted tons of bikes. I've traveled all over the, all over the country with, uh, you know, doing bikes for all kinds of people, you know what I mean? And it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I've seen a couple of different trends come and go and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know, man, it's, it's a really wild story. Just, you know, thinking about it, like I think about all the million, but like this, I did a podcast, the hardest thing, if you haven't done it yet, if I did a podcast, just trying to objectively look at my life since I started painting and getting into bikes. And then like, I had to do a two part series. It was like two hours a piece. It was like That's a shit crazy. show, just like super, super honesty and like kind of just showing like, you know, a lot of stuff, but man, I don't, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's a weird one. Like, uh, I really don't know how to get into it again. <laughs> too much yeah yeah no, you know it but it becomes very difficult and and the shop when you opened it up did you have like rich parents and they were like hey parents give me some money i'm gonna open shit. up a shop or or did you hustle your wish, ass man. off and partner up <laughs> and you know do whatever you had to do to get there man i wish i did and i wish i you know the one time in my life i did find a partners it you know and had close to like a million dollar investment type of business where we had money coming through it ended up being a shit show but no i grew up uh you know i grew up with you know 90s and late 80s parents that were uh partying and doing coke and shit like that man so they were you know in the late 90s when i was graduating high school man like my dad was doing a year in jail my mom just got a felony for uh you know possession you know they weren't like junkies like fortunately my parents were good at doing drugs and <laughs> getting their job right. done it was just Same still focus, illegal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, my junior year in high school, man, like I had a full-time job and, uh, graduated high school still, you know, went, finished school and all that shit. It just, um, I had a kid really early on. So that's what kept me kind of on the Balanced. track. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but no, man, I, I wish I'd, I, I have an amazing family and amazing friends system since my whole life. That's always been very supportive of everything I've done, but it's never been a financial support. It's always just been a uh, moral, you know, you can crash on my pad or those kind of things, yeah, moral you know, support, and, uh, which is, is pretty yeah. huge. Plus we're here in Texas, man. And, you know, up until the stuff in the, the, the two thousands, like the mid two thousands, all that kind of motorcycle culture was really more based out of the uh the socal and the phoenix area more than anything you know so being here there was plenty of bike work but it was not really you weren't really going to get famous working or painting bikes here in texas at the time in my opinion unless you already had a huge huge business you know what i'm saying right but then when when the big wool bagger craze hit that shit became real popular here and there was a lot of big shops here out of dallas that kind of were providing parts for that industry so we became one of the uh, Dallas became one of the hubs for those type of bikes. So painting those bikes and working on those bikes, I was able to make a lot of money uh, and start to kind of own everything and really have a full shop. But it only took about 10 years of hustling, going to body shops, slinging airbrush work here and there and doing crazy shit like that to kind of get me to that point where I'd be good when the bagger thing hit. So it's kind of a weird, weird deal. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's a path. It's a path, and it takes a while yeah. to get there. Why do you think it took so long for uh, Texas to to get into a big biker community? And and you know, it, it wasn't as popular you know, I, as it was in California. Because I would think, I would think weather wise, but Texas has some pretty nice weather too, right? Yeah, our weather's not too bad. And what what I really, you know, I thought about this quite a bit, and I think that in my deep uh, study of trying to figure this shit out, I think that 
a lot of it has to do with the the culture that's backing motorcycles in in SoCal and just California in general. It's just mu- it's so much more of a lifestyle. And and honestly, I don't know how long lane splitting has been legal in in Cali. Uh-huh. You know, it has. Well, you have this generation after generation of people that look at bikes for many different reasons rather than here. It's looked at as maybe only recreational amongst the majority of people that own bikes. When you look at it there, people are are driving to work every day on their bike. Like their bike is much more an extension of their daily routine than it is here. Therefore, I think people spend more money on their bikes. They, They want their bikes to be nicer. They want it to be more of everything because they spend so much more time on it and there's no real off season. You know, you got like a couple of weeks of rain once a year. Yeah, we, we, we only have uh, 11 months of riding uh, weather. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, but bikes, uh, but, but we see all kinds of different bikes. I mean, so not everybody spends it. You, I think I see more yeah. people just riding just to ride. And I think I see more mm-hmm. people that buy a bike because it's a necessity, you know, for transportation, the cost of living out here, et cetera, yeah. than, than real people. I mean, I think the commuters have shittier bikes. Yeah, the commuters, the the people, the, the commuters definitely have shittier bikes. They're 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 not they're not all. Yeah. they're not taking nice care of them and stuff like that. I think yeah, the, the guys that really likes their bikes are the ones that are yeah, yeah. you know upgrading constantly and stuff. Well, it's not only that, but as in, yeah, as in Robert, you know you know better than anybody else. It, it costs money to buy an, a decent bike and start yeah. working on it. Paint job. You know, doing a paint job, yeah. bars, cables, pipes, tires, rims, you know, swing arm, chassis, uh, you know, the uh, changing into a, a uh, chain drive, you know, all those yeah, things yeah. you spend money, it, it costs all of a sudden, you know, the, the cheapest, the cheapest part of, you know, up, upgrading a bike is the bike. Then after yeah, that, you, I, I seen people buy a $15,000 Dyna or $12,000 Dyna and they'll spend 20000 customizing it, you know, yeah, which yeah. we've all seen. Well. Another thing that also comes when you guys, uh, you know, like I would say because of lane splitting and people are commuting, you have more people that need maintenance work and need things like that. So there's much, much more shops spread across that, you know, SoCal, you know, coastline, basically. All all of California. Yeah. Pretty. Yeah. So, and I mean that for me, I mean, I I started flying up to NorCal uh, once a, once a month for, you know, pretty much 2015, 2016 and yeah, all of, yeah, pretty much those two years just painting bikes because there's so many people that are putting stupid money in it compared compared to compared to what here where like there's maybe five or six shops in in the North Texas area that are Is you that know it? not doing bikes. Yeah, I mean I'm sure there's more, but just on my radar, you know, right now there's not as many. But hell, I I got probably. I mean, if you go to Phoenix, even Phoenix is different. Like. I think a lot of people from California go to Phoenix so they can still have that California down the street kind of yeah. vibe, you know, but get away from a little bit of other stuff. But yeah, you, and then you got MMI there and there's a shop every other, every other intersection on cave Creek, you know, and it's just insane how much more industry there is in the SoCal specifically SoCal in Arizona area in that little, you know, pocket of desert basically, you know, and it's just not here. Yeah. You know, what what do what do the uh, people from Texas uh, think of bikers? They hate them. They like them. They don't give a fuck uh, about them. It's we like to call them like the uh, the hell yeah brother guys. You know what I mean? Oh, they support it. They, they're kind of yeah, like they <laughs> like um. People, motorcycling is pretty big in Texas. Like it's it's still and big. It's, it's just it's yeah, 
And um, there's there's lots of it. We have, you know, definitely we have clubs out here. We have uh, we have quite a quite a few big rallies in, that are more nationally known rallies that take place within the the state lines. Um, it's it's just kind of like a, I don't know. It, it, you know what's really weird is that I think that we get in these little echo chambers where we look at the type of bikes that we like, especially with social media now. We start looking at like a Dyna or a Vikla Softail or something like that. And we get sucked into this culture. And then we look at our outside, like what's outside now. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it looks like on Instagram. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Nothing looks like when it you, on Instagram. Exactly. So I think that uh, for some of us that are into bikes that aren't as, as popular on this side of the country, we kind of feel that way when realistically, you know, they're, uh, an average bike night at a Harley dealership can have hundreds, if not a couple thousand bikes attending. It just might be not really our customer base or our demographic of people that we hang out with, you know? So, yeah, no, it's and, and the reason I was asking that is because, you know, in, in California, uh, it's tricky. It's like 50, 50 people when you're passing them, they don't give a fuck. They just let you pass. Especially when you're in a Harley, they, they hear you. They, people just move yeah. the fuck out of the way. You know, there, there's no problems. Yeah. But when I was in Arizona a few times, and maybe I'm just talking about just those times, but I don't know anything other than those moments. When mm-hmm. I would try to split lanes, like one time I was riding back with a buddy of mine and we rode all day through Vegas and then we had to get back to LA. Well, it started raining and leaving Vegas mm-hmm. on a Sunday to LA is yeah. fucked up. I mean, you're talking about in a car, yeah. it, it, the average is probably six hours. All right. Yeah. So it yeah. started pouring and, you know, I, I kind of like, yo, hey, you down to split lanes? He's like, yeah, I'm down to split lanes. So we, we were on ultras. And I started splitting lanes. And all of a sudden, every time I looked back, my guy was so back. Uh, Dieter, yeah. Dieter from Eagle Riders. He was so far back that, that I had to stop, you know, because cars were cutting him off. As soon as I would pass in, mm. in, in you know, uh, Nevada, car, cars yeah. would get in the way. They would block you because they know it's against the law. There's no lane splitting. And yeah, yeah. they did this the whole way, you know, until we got to <laughs> the California border. Uh, the Basically, state border, yeah. and and I, 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 you know, traumatized me. I was like, "This is fucked up." You know, I would never experience this in California. I wonder if other states are like that. Oh, they most definitely are. Oh, I mean, Texas is like, shit? yeah, nobody wants you to cut in line, man. You know, and it's you know, I've, I've heard like someone told law, me this, like almost like that's what it felt. Yeah, like. it, I can't. I, someone told me this a while back, and it, it was a good kind of analogy, and I'm probably gonna murder it right now, but it was uh, it was something to the effect of like. Every, every other condition, the only time motorcycling is better to be on is like on a perfect sunny day, yeah. right? When it's raining, when it's traffic, when it's cold, when it's blazing hot, cars are always in a better situation, always. right? But the only thing that we can do that they can't is we can slip through. Right. And they don't want to let that happen. You know what I mean? And and even if like Texas did uh, legalize lane splitting, it would take a couple of years for it to really uh, resonate and like ingrain into the into the people that live here to allow it to happen. You know, some, most people don't care, to be honest with you, you can go by a lot of people, but you're going to catch a redneck here sooner or later that ain't into that shit or some soccer mom that's just had it up to here. Yeah, having a bad you know day. I mean? Not today. Exactly. I'm going to kill somebody you know? today. Yeah, <laughs> easy. yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a divider. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's worse, uh, not being able to split lanes or not being able to, you know, con, you know conceal, conceal a gun. You know, because like we cannot conceal a gun no matter what in fucking California. Yeah, yeah. And, and that 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 well, bothers me. You know, but 
I don't know. What's what do you think? I, well, it would it would definitely bother me now with the state of things, you know, in the yeah. country with uh, you know, all the shit going on. I mean, you're in this very very populated place, especially with you know within the LA there that if shit hit the fan and people couldn't eat and couldn't provide, shit's going to get real. Yeah. And you know, you know all the all the people out there that that have banned guns, you know, blamed every problem on guns. They're not going to be able. They're they're going to be looking for cops that can't handle that absolutely that none. many people. None. Even even you if know, national think, guard comes right now, that's a big sign. Yeah. That anarchy is going to happen, and there's not enough to stop all the bums, all the crimes, all the neighbors. The crazy part is, I was yeah. just reading a study. They said nine meals. We're nine meals away from anarchy. If somebody doesn't eat for three days, Damn. their next nine, nine meals, that's it. It's, it's a war zone. And yeah. you're going to have to protect yourself. And that's a huge problem. So, LA's what, 15 million or something? I don't know, man. Something. That was like close to 20, I think. Yeah. Or, some, or like the whole like county or the right. whole like the whole area county or something could like be, that. could be, yeah. I, I'm going to stick with So that. I heard this. We'll look it up. I heard this uh this this thing and I don't and like I, I don't have a reference and I I don't know if it's military and police or if it's just like people in like FBI SWAT all that type of shit police force but it's something like 5000 citizens per one person of authority in America. You in know what I mean? America. That means it's so yeah. much more worse than LA. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's, that's a, so you'd that's have to send pretty like much most. That's an interesting statistic. Yeah, and I can't remember if that's military included or if that's just like FBI to police force down. You know what I mean? It's like probably that all. kind of. I, I mean, I'm sure it's an easy lookup if you look at how many people are enrolled yeah. in the military, how many law enforcement officers do we have? You know, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, LA, we, we drive up and down the 405, one of the busiest freeways, and I see yeah. two, three cop. You know, police officers. Right, if you go along, sometimes from here to my house, there's not one. Yeah, you probably maybe you'll see one, and you're talking a distance of yeah. 25 miles in LA. In LA, miles don't mean nothing. 25, you know, mm -hmm. in Texas, anywhere outside of LA, 25 miles is 25 minutes. Yeah, here, yeah, for sure. 25 miles is about an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. You know, so yeah. in in, so, in an hour and a half, you can drive thousands of cars next to you and not see one police officer you know it's concerning yeah so my you know my wife uh she's from santa clarita up there yeah, yeah. and uh and then her aunt that we visit two or three times a year lives right there in venice off uh off of lincoln there so we're man we're out there quite a bit and um it, it is it is insane how much people and how much city like i i tell people from texas you know like if you start in ventura and you just head east by the time you get to Indo, that's like from Dallas past Austin, you yeah. know, it's, it's quite a ways. And, and you, if you think about it, most of that is suburb and city Right from that point to that point. That that's insane. That's like so much fucking people. And that's just in one straight line. That's just in one straight line. <laughs> yes. So yeah. many people. So it's a, uh, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's, you got a special place there, man. Like if it wasn't special, like nobody would be there. Well, so. what makes it special? <laughs> I, uh -huh. I think is is you're you're two to three hours away from anything. If you want exactly. mountains, you have mountains. If you want desert, there's desert. If you want beach, there's beach. If you we were just riding, we were riding not too long ago and three and weeks we, ago. Yeah. Three weeks ago, snow. Mm -hmm. I mean, straight snow on top of the mountains. We're there's snow next yeah. to us. We 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 had like just one light Super jacket. Sleep, yeah. 
Well, luckily somebody brought his heated uh, vest, but uh, the, the rest <laughs> oh. of us, we didn't know, you know, so we got yeah. out there and we're, we're freezing our asses off, but it was so nice. And it's like, wow, like there's snow right now. And which, uh, which pass did you go on? We went on uh, Angeles Crest all the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was all the, the way two out or something like crosses that? to Azusa. That's uh, that was like full with snow. Full on nice. yeah, full, that- full snow. Actually, they were there this for yesterday. Yeah, it was there yesterday and, and it, yeah. it was completely empty of snow. It was like there, there 80, was still 85 degrees. 85 degrees, but you know that that that's the that's the crazy part. And and again, if you want ocean, if you want you know if you want to jump to go to Coney Island, Sandy, and then yeah. everything's so different. You know, there there was a law they wanted to pass that you know I never saw it or do anything, but they were talking about breaking up California into like seven oh, yeah, different states. That. And it, they're different though. What's that? <laughs> it's. I, I spent a lot of time in NorCal, man, and those cats up there, you know, e- the guys in the Bay Area versus the guys out towards, like, Stockton and Sacramento are even are, different are dip- in, the, in a sense. And, and, yeah. the, and the reason they were doing yeah. that state is because the, just just the laws, you know, like, San Diego's got a border problem. L.A.'s yeah. got a Los Angeles problem. You know, uh, the Central yeah. Coast has, uh, they have, they, they, pr- they produce, I think they said 70% of the produce of the United States. Yeah. So we had those, mm-hmm. we had those droughts. Sacramento has their own issues, you know, in Stockton. San Francisco obviously wants to advance on technology, self-driving buses, self-driving this. And, and Pri- you, you, Priuses. Priuses. I, I fucking hate Priuses. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I, I lose my mind. I, I can't even... Fo- Anyways, so they wanted to separate that, and, and it was just interesting because it, there was many... There was enough valid points where it kind of makes sense, but then it's just kind of ridiculous yeah. right now. Um, but anyways... Yeah, it's a... It, it's really strange, man. Cause like whenever I started going to NorCal's when the big drought was taken and I think, uh, Shasta Lake, I think it is up North was like damn near empty, yeah. you know? And I guess that's a big water source for a lot of the people that, you know, with the aqueduct that comes all the way down the uh, yeah, central like valley. Five years. It was like four or five years. If yeah. Not longer, it's it ridiculous. Dude, you drive up the five or the 99, man. You just saw all those farmers just ready to fucking riot, you know, ready to go to war for, for water, man. It's crazy. But then, you know, I guess it's, it's been qu- quite wet there the last couple of years, so I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I, actually, I was actually <laughs> remember they were putting the plastic. What's that? They were putting the plastic balls in the in the water to do something up there or some shit. Like they were dumping all these plastic things in the uh, in the in the lake up there up north to do something. Yeah, some kind of experiment. I, f- I forgot what that was about, but I, yeah, I remember hearing something about that. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, no. It's- so what got you into podcasting though? What got? I mean, like you guys, like I've I've heard some of the podcasts. I've been trying to binge. We've had a wild party weekend going on, so I haven't really had much time to sit down and focus on anything. But um, what got you guys wanting to start doing this podcast stuff? Um, th- this is something I-, I keep saying 2012, but I-, I think it was more like 2013. I wanted to launch a podcast. Uh, the original mm-hmm. idea was uh, the Man Cave Raw, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and then just have you know me and then a good buddy of mine, and just kind of have drinks and and have that regular conversation like right now this is you know the right boundless where we talk about bikes and the conversations we're going to have are based on conversations we would have if we met you know at an event that yeah that yeah. one was going to be the same thing but it was just going to be kind of like nightlife or you know what's going on in la or just you know pe- more interesting generic people. stuff yeah more more generic yeah, yeah. not so much of a niche um and you know i i that's that's where i want to give you credit i mean you you had the idea and, and you did it you know, with shitty equipment or no shitty equipment. Yeah. I, I got as far as, you know, making the set and 
you know, coming up with the idea and, you know, already a few guests that I wanted to start with, but, but I never, I never executed, unfortunately never executed. Mm -hmm. So then I launched the ride boundless. And at first it was just like parts, you know, motorcycle parts online. And, uh, you know, then mm -hmm. I did a couple t-shirts and then I launched a cleaning product and now the product is called ride clean, but originally it was called ride boundless. And uh, yeah. then I felt, you know, again, that's where I got to give you credit again. You kept everything with the same name. You kept your garage, your podcast, your events, your everything, which is, which is genius. I complicated it, started changing names on everything. Um, so then, I, you know, the cleaning, I changed it to Ride Clean. Uh, I had the Ride Boundless name. I trademarked it, trademarked the logos, did everything else. And then I was having a casual conversation about this podcast that I wanted to do, and we never did. And then Hyman and then our good friend Mark, we were sitting in the garage. Uh -huh. I had the Yeti mic and, you know, we were, Mark kind of said, Hey, why don't you start your podcast? And then I was like, you guys want to do a podcast? And Jaime was like, fuck it. I don't care. Like zero fucks yeah. given. And, uh, yeah. we, we just started recording. I think the first one was what? Two months ago, I think. Yeah. Two months ago. Almost, but how long was almost it? Almost three, almost three months ago. Yeah, but how long? How long? Was I like think it was like forty-five. Yeah, 40 minutes? thirty-five minutes, forty minutes. Something short, yeah. and and we it, it started circulating, and yeah. kind of you know people people wanted more. And yeah, then I, I was thinking like this is this is gonna be difficult. Like you know that that was easy, but it's kind of difficult. I hate I'm already juggling too much shit in my own life. Then you know Jaime yeah. approached me and he says, uh, "Hey, I, I like the I like the direction, or I like what happened. You know, why why don't mm -hmm. why don't we collaborate and and start doing this?" And we yeah. collaborated. Yeah. And yeah, we started recording and getting new guests. And, you know, with uh, through through connections that, that, that you know, we have uh, that I've always wanted to reach out and actually get to meet. Uh, mm -hmm. We've been offering them just to, you know, meet up through the podcast, you know, through one episode like yeah, this. Yeah. And, you know, we've been seeing your stuff. You know, what the way I see your stuff, the, you might even be offended. Bro, is to me your Instagram is is more like a, a tattoo artist Instagram, and I like to see the shit that you come up with, you know, like uh, you know when you yeah. very creative. Yeah, when you post yeah. um when you post a helmet, and and I see the portraits that you do on the on the helmets or the, you insane. guys insane, it, it's incredible, Thank and you. and and you know I I see, I see it more like uh like the revolution that the tattoo artists have had after the Instagram sensation, you yeah. know that they've been exploded. Because they're able to show their work and yeah, exactly. reach to a new, a new, a new audience, and all around the world, you know. Same with your helmets, yeah. man. I see it, and I, and and it's a piece Beautiful. of art. Each of them, you know. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things uh, that that helped me uh, do this is, and, and which is actually doing exactly the opposite. As I want to get into more video type stuff, like doing like a YouTube channel that's not related to the podcast, is on the YouTube channel. I'm trying way too fucking hard. I'm buying shit. I'm just buying and buying. I'm never doing because I'm, I've got, I've put in this video on a pedestal that I don't really have time to do. I mean, so by keeping the podcast as simple as possible and just trying to get a good clean audio, but then get it out and just get them out, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier to get in the motion of doing it. And then, uh, it's kind of a competitive thing too, or not competitive, but a, uh, a, a continual thing that I, cringe listening to myself talk on on the yeah. podcast like i don't like it nobody so does i don't listen I, I don't listen to them anymore unless there was something very compelling that was talked about probably from the guest that i needed to recall for something that's coming up or something like that but you know like you can get your head get in your head real quick with these things but um 
I don't know, man. There's I've dude, I've I felt like I've grown so much over the last almost two and a half years now doing That's this. Huge. That's just a have, big accomplishment. Having yeah, just having these conversations with people and uh like picking their brain and, and kind of having their undivided attention, dude. You know, like it's crazy how much, you know, you can I, I feel like the real conversations, not that not that this isn't real, but like the real gritty shit it's either going to happen now or it's going to like about an hour and a half in once everybody's comfortable, then shit just starts flowing out yeah. and you start getting like the more, the real conversation. So, um, but then again, sometimes I've had podcasts that I've let drawn on for so long that, that I was like, man, I probably should have cut that off about an hour and a half ago, but I was fishing for another great conversation to talk about. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, Robert, Robert I, mentioned it in one of the latest episodes. Uh, when was the last time, if it wasn't for the podcast, that you can sit with a stranger for an hour and a half and talk about your life? And just get to know them. There is no. Well, yeah, and you know what's crazy? I was actually talking to a buddy about this. You know, one of the most exhilarating experiences as a human is getting to meet someone new and getting to uh, find out about each other, whether it's a chick or a friend. You know what I mean? It's like a very, I feel like an overlooked uh, thing that that we as people don't really value as much. So when I get to have a podcast or somebody or have a conversation with them, you know, it's pretty, um, it's pretty amazing to sit there and meet this person. Even if you've never, like I've never, uh, other than the, the conversation I had with you the other day, like I haven't really had much interaction with you guys, but listening to your podcast over the weekend has raised a lot of like, Oh, that's cool. Like, how'd you get into it? What was the catalyst or the, uh, or the, the fuel for the fire for you guys? You know what I mean? So that's kind of like, the good thing about conversations, man, is they can really just open your head and eyes. Yeah, and, so. and that and that's what happens. I, I think there's too many people that I've known and and you know we we ride together, you know, every weekend or you know even during the week we meet up, we go to events, but you you don't know anybody until you really have this this moment of of yeah, what's going on in your life, you know, episode yeah. number episode number eight, Michael Beach. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that um, one. Liked it. Yeah. My, Michael Beach, nine, you know, he, 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 what's that? Nine. Number nine. Yeah. So Michael Beach, you know, he's actor, Sons of Anarchy, blah, blah, blah. We, we used to ride together back in the days. And then I lost contact mm -hmm. with him. And now, you know, when I ran into him, I had the opportunity to catch up and really catch up. And I, I was yeah, learning yeah. stuff from him that I never even knew. You know, I, we, we ate and gone to places, you know, hundreds of times. I didn't know he yeah. didn't eat beef and, you know, pork. I was like, what? Like I never even noticed, you know, but yeah, I, for, I forgot how jacked he was, man. I went back after I listened to that podcast and I followed, I started, I mean, I was already following his Instagram page and stuff, but I went back and checked it. I was like, yeah, dude's fucking, you know, he didn't look old as shit. I guess that's true. Black don't yeah. crack. Well, you know what well I mean? he looks said it really better, good. Uh, money don't crack. <laughs> yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Money don't crack for sure. But uh, yeah, no, he looks the only great. Thing He's almost 60 years old. He'll fuck up yeah. most people that I know. Exactly. The only thing I would say is a downside to uh, is to podcasting conversations is like you start to look at every conversation of fuck, man, I should have had the mics out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Almost like it, it becomes like a different, you know, some conversations are just, they need to just be private. Not that there's something said that shouldn't be put out there, but it's, it's an extra layer of real when there's no microphones and there's no, there's no agenda or, or uh, there's no gain from it. It's just, pure information being shared to each other. But some, like I said, in doing podcasts, you start to kind of look at every interaction and conversation like, fuck, man, I should have had the mics on. This would have been a good thing to share to my audience, blah, blah, blah. And then I feel a little less 
genuine sometimes for that that kind of thought process. So I try to check that a little bit, but you know, it's just part of it. We're always looking to have, gain. Have you, have you done any um, <laughs> a mobile podcast like where you take your equipment and you go on an adventure or you, you know? Yeah, I mean, that? trust me, man. To to get this podcast going, the 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 amount of times I've ridden across country to California, the amount of times I've flown places. Uh, I've ridden to Indianapolis and had my bike stolen while I was there doing a podcast. Shit. You know, I must have. What episode was that? It was a horsepower ink. Expensive one. A, you can actually expensive one. You can, yeah, you can get on there and hear the bike start in the end of the podcast. Um, really, <laughs> in the parking lot. Um, yeah, man, I, I've you know I've always been a traveler on motorcycles, so that's why. And because of my work in the industry, I've always had an in with quite a few companies, builders, painters. Uh, fabricators, you know, product brands and things like that. So I just combined the writing with the podcast and I would just take the little zoom handy recorder and a couple of lavalier mics yeah. and just, you know, have at it. And I mean, the, the quality is not as good, but, um, until I built this studio that I'm actually in right now, it was, I, I, I felt like I had to grind like that. I had to go out there and I had to do, I had to meet people, you know, 90% of the way, a lot of times just to show the world my commitment and the seriousness I have for this stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? But it's also selfish because I love fucking riding across country. So I get to kill two birds with one stone. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, soon, obviously, because of the current situation, we were planning on a few trips uh, to take the equipment. He, we, you know, we just purchased yeah. the Zoom and some other equipment. And we wanted to meet. We have some people to meet up in Arizona. And, you know, we, we yeah. planned the yeah. whole trail. But uh, that's on hold right now for about two months. Yeah, it's yeah, all good. About two months. Something like that. Um, but I can't wait. You know, I already, I already told, I already told yeah. my girl, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be gone. Work. You know, the, the, the dream, <laughs> yeah. the future. It's work. You have yeah. to do it. Work. Yeah, work. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, uh, I've, done Cal I've done Phoenix a couple times, man. I've, I've, I've ridden out there a couple times. I've flown out there, like, twice now to do podcasts. And, it, you know, you're kind of fortunate, too, because you're, where you're at, like, you have a – everybody's here the word is not yeah you have a lot of shit close and and so um but what we had to do with ours to continue growth for those times we couldn't go out there is i i had to take more of the joe rogan platform where i had to make some of my guests feel like they're an extension like more of a of a host as well you know what i mean so by bringing some of my closer friends on that i have great conversations with often uh, some of my audiences felt they found a connection to that person, so they really like when that one guy comes on. Yeah, that's interesting. Who might not be a big, yeah, not might not be a big known person. You know, it's um, it it just helps me kind of uh, you know, shed light on my friends who I I find amazing, but at the same time, um, it helps me continue to put out content. Trying, you know, originally it was always to try to put out at least four episodes a month, which wouldn't be hard in a lot of ways but it is it's fucking hard it's, it's very difficult <laughs> you know yeah it's really difficult i mean not to mention your your day-to-day -day obligations and then Family, uh you know you know and find the right guest that work. can sit for two hours yeah. on the phone well not only that and them showing yeah. up you know yeah. but there was a moment you know, uh, that the time he looked at me he goes robert we're we're two days away from failing you know producing a podcast <laughs> yeah. Every every week, you know, once a week, yeah. Because you know, a part of me was like, we should do should do five a week, you know, like it, you know, let's do it. Yeah. But it's like at one a week, it's difficult, yeah. you know, to get the I've, people. I've done it's I've really done that error before with photography and and 
And I put my chance, myself the challenge of, you know, in, in the portraits, I have a bunch of Instagrams, right? One of them is just uh, fashion uh, portraits. And I've done that mm -hmm. before. I've put myself the challenge of posting one amazing picture a day. And it's yeah. impossible because you don't, you can, <laughs> I mean, you can only maintain it so far because at some point you yeah. have to shoot every day one person and produce one amazing shot. And it's practically impossible my, while you have a full time job. So I was always yeah, telling I, Robert that this is an hour of conversation with somebody, hopefully a stranger. So it's really hard to, yeah. to maintain the, the speed, you know, of, get, of getting. I think that from the outside looking in before even listening to your guys' podcast, I think the marketing and the way you're using photography, which I'm a huge photography nerd myself, I'm not a photographer professionally, but I dabble in the arts. You know uh -huh. what I mean? So the way that you guys have marketed your stuff, it's super clean. It's super professional. So one of the things is like, I wasn't really super clean and professional. I just knew people from working in the industry for so long. So like you knew Michael Beach, it was easier for you to get that, that, uh, the introduction and get them on the podcast as opposed to me. I don't know him and I don't have a connection and I'm gonna have to go into his DMS in hopes that he actually opens it and reads it and takes it seriously. Yeah. But as our podcast has grown, and more and more larger name people in the industry have done it. It's much easier to maybe get someone on. And if they kind of hesitate, then I can drop off one or two names that I know that, that they've done it. So they're definitely going to do yeah, it. Yeah, you know course. what I mean? Yeah. That, that's so. those are the building blocks of, of getting the successful. <laughs> exactly. What was your favorite, but, I what's, mean, the, what's your favorite episode that you've done and why? Man, it's really, it's really hard to say what the favorite one is because I, I was just talking with a buddy today, man, you know, as a podcast listener myself, um, I go through phases of what I want to hear, what type of shit I want to hear. Sometimes I want to hear, you know, a motivating story. And sometimes I want to laugh my ass off. You know what I mean? So and with that being said, like, um, it's really hard to say some of my best. I think that, man, that's a really tough question, dude. Cause I, 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 I have a lot of different shit that I love for different reasons. Um, I would say one of my favorites was probably, we did a trip last year. We rode uh, from Dallas to uh, San, uh, San Francisco and then down for born free and home. And, and uh, I usually do that once a year and I take, I try, I don't try to take new people, but I do it every year. So sometimes the same dudes come, sometimes it's new folks, but this is the first time we did it with a podcast. And I remember we're sitting in uh, Silk, Colorado, on the uh, edge of the Colorado River uh, camping. And we just pulled that Zoom out and we put a whole bunch of the, the lavalier mics on. We, we put our helmets in front of us and lifted the, the, the visor up and then clipped the lavaliers on the visor. That way we're in our shirts yeah. and making all that mm -hmm. kind of noise Genius. and shit. And we just, we just talked. And, and the quality was nowhere near as good as what you would expect, but... I felt like the audience loved it because they felt like they were sitting by the river with us in a campfire, listening to us talk about the first three days or two days of our trip, uh, from Dallas to, you know, the, basically the Western side of, uh, Colorado. And, um, those kind of things are great. And that's one thing that we've built with our podcast since then is, is like this huge amount of people that want to come out and ride and come experience the type of shit that I uh, passionately talk about, you know, I love like jumping on a bike and going across country and camping and, and st staying at hotels in the cool places and camping in the cool places and, and doing that with, with dudes as gay as that sounds, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> no, it, it, so, it's, 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 
it's what we used to do. It's how we traveled before, you know, about hundred yeah. years ago, five hundred years ago. That's that's that. I think it is a little bit primal. Yeah, that, that, to, that's, that's where the bonding was. That's you. You get escape. You you almost have no responsibilities other than just surviving. You don't. It, when you when you're on a road trip across the country, man, and uh, you know that today I'm riding my bike and I'm going to go to this town, this town, this town. You know, when you ride a bike in general, you're already way more aware of everything going on or at least most of us are that don't wreck all the time right. we're very we're very connected to what's taking place in front of us and when you go through these small towns in the middle of nowhere man like you you just kind of peek into this world that's not like the big city that we're kind of all from um it's a trip. and you just it's a trip yeah. man it's like a very it's very humbling it's very uh inspiring and um you know it's it's like the sh it's like a good reset for myself every year so i feel like taking those kind of trips and like not not because I pity these people in any kind of way I think that they're they're living an amazing life that I wish I had the balls to do you know that's but what it is you, you gotta just, have the balls to do it and, and it's and the, yeah the, the fucked up part is we're so attached to everything exactly. we have we're so attached to our fucking local bars to our bikes to our cars we, we would rather suffer and 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 complicate our life but be have our attachments than you know just yeah living a simple fucking life and less worries and less stress and not caring like that. It, you gotta have ball. It's, it's as weird as it sounds. Yeah. Most of the dudes that go on the trips with me, man, like they, it, it does flip a switch in them where they really crave that, that real freedom, you know, like, uh, I hate to sound, you know, fucking, you know, inspirational poster in a motorcycle shop. Is, guys, write this down. But Let's write this down. We got it. We're going to yeah, make new posters. It, what is it? it? <laughs> It's it's really like that the freedom I think motor, riding motorcycles is freedom in a lot of ways right Absolutely. but when you're when you're leaving and you're not coming home that day it's a different kind of freedom <laughs> you know what I mean Absolutely. you're just you're just going you you know like you you're going here it 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 just it truly is like the most freest I've ever felt you know what I mean and um, it crosses my mind a lot of times man uh, when I'm riding somewhere at night. Uh, for example, I'm I have to ride later today from here to my house, and get, I get on the bike, and and I always think, is this the day when I turn off my phone and disappear for three days? You you've said that too many times, right? It's kind of concerning. It is concerning. Yeah, yeah, he literally will be like, I, I think this is the time. You know, I'm gonna. Bye. Yeah, yeah. Like, Cause, so cause I, I got like, it. I really want to do it once. You know. So. I do have a weird, you know, like on the same topic, a question for you guys, how, so to me, I get to, I get to fantasize about coming to places like where you guys live and, and soak it up for oh, a day or two or a week or however long. Here, <laughs> yeah. We're looking for so how, any, go ahead. I'm sorry, but just, just to let you know, we're you, trying to get yeah. the fuck out of here any moment, bro. We're, we're yeah. like, where let's go. I don't care. Let's just go. Yeah. So that's what I was wondering. Like when you're in Cali and you have basically you know, at least five of the top 10 rides in America within a day's ride from you guys. Like what, what, what's there to desire? Where is there a desire to go to the Midwest where it's flat and there's fields 100%. everywhere? I mean, like, absolutely. Camping, camping, yeah. get Any, out of here. Yeah. Anything it, different. That that's, that's the experience. It's, it's, it's the experience of getting out there and coming back. That's what people look forward to. Um, you know, yeah. the stuff that we have around here, you know, like like the freedom, the freedom that I experience, you know, and I know this might sound weird, but the experience that I that I love that I experience a lot in Los Angeles is when you get in a fucking car, there is so much traffic 
There is, I mean, it's, it's unbearable how bad traffic is that you feel trapped. Mm-hmm. And actually you are trapped because there's moments, there's no exit coming up, you know, and you're there for two more miles. And it's saying on the GPS that two more miles is going to be 15, 20 minutes. And, and I, I just regret, I'm like, why the fuck am I driving the truck today? And when you have yeah. a bike, like nothing's stopping you. You're, you're mm-hmm. splitting lanes. You're getting through all of the cops stop the road. Okay, cool. I'll get to the front of everybody. And, and, you know, once it opens up, I'm the first one out. I, you know, I don't yeah. have to wait for a stop. It's, it's weird. Like you could just get through anything and that's, that's one freedom. Mm-hmm. But to get out of LA as a whole, like go to Palm Springs, go to the desert, go to Arizona, go to Nevada. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. freeing, you know, especially when you get to Arizona and there's no uh, helmet laws, you know, you could, you could rip that yeah. off. Like that's still weird here, you know, where where you you know you get accustomed to wearing helmets, but well, that's we we started you know we're we're big on helmets here as well nowadays. But um, I would trade the there? helmet law. No, it's you can ride without a helmet it's here. But I would I would trade that for lane splitting any day. Any day, you know what I mean? No, no, any day, any day. Any, that's as fuck, man. No lane splitting. That's why I'm saying that that concealed carry and no lane splitting. I don't know which one I choose. But I, it would yeah. have to be lane splitting, I guess. I do know. I do know. What yeah, I'm it's saying. a. I remember when they first made. See, we have open carry here, kind of like uh, Arizona does. And I remember when they first made that legal. Uh, I swear it was so funny watching everybody and their mom just like put pistols on their hip, like they're from the Wild West and shit. And that only lasted for a couple of weeks before people realized it was stupid yeah. to have your gun just hanging on the outside. So you don't want people to know you have yeah, a gun that's the on whole you. Point. You, that you know, the purpose. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, but, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, it, I think it's always going to be, you know, people in here in Texas, even though, you know, we're very, uh, you know, we're very red state, you know what I mean? And we're very conservative as fuck, but we still we still like mountains and oceans and, and good weather, too. So we all fantasize about being in California, just not without so much government, right. you know, overlord on it. Right, no, no, <laughs> and, and, and there's... You know, and obviously I'm talking about the the populated cities like Los Angeles yeah. is, is it, it could be a nightmare riding. There, there is times that it is a nightmare yeah. riding, but fuck, when you go to Carmel or when you go to Monterey or when you Santa Cruz or San Diego, yeah. when you go anywhere outside of, you know, the city, there, there, there's mm-hmm. unlimited, unlimited rides. Right now, um, Jaime just found um, Gorman. I, mean, you know, I wasn't even familiar with all the Gorman tracks. And that's when you go up the five to the grapevine. And on, on okay. top, there's a, there's like a national park that you pay $5 to get into. And there's mm-hmm. 150, 180 miles of dirt bike riding and go-karts and ATVs. There's a forest yeah. by a river. There's waterfalls. You, you could spend, you know, five days there. And, and it's, it's an oh, amazing yeah. experience. It's definitely an amazing experience. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I, for, for me, I just build my GPS. And everything that is in that GPS doesn't give me freedom. Because even when we ride yeah. on Sundays, I have, I have memorized the canyons, you know. So mm. as long as I'm inside of those canyons, I don't feel the freedom. You know, when I go to a, to a new place, I'm like, oh, shit, now I feel better, you know. It's kind of like a yeah. reset of, of what I know. So, yeah, when, even when I did, the, I did a trip with Rio to San Francisco, going up PCH, once I pass the area that we always go to, I, I start feeling, you know, like you, the freedom start kicking on. Yeah. Like once yeah. you're out of Santa Barbara. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit, I don't know these turns or, or look at this cliff that I would have never 
look at if I am in my area, you know? And, and, it, and it's, yeah, so, yeah. it's so adventurous because, you know, from L.A. to San Francisco, if you take the five, you could do it in five, six hours, you know, 80, 90 yeah. miles an hour, very easy, stop once and get a pack of smokes, you know, Coke, whatever. Um, but if you go PCH all the way up, you know. It's like 12 it's, hours. It's eight, nine hours. <laughs> 11, yeah. easily. Yeah, easily. Easily, it's eight nine hours, you know, and then yeah. and you, and the you have first, to start the f- early, you know, early in the morning because, well, depending mm-hmm. on you know if it if it gets darker sooner than later, but you want to make sure you have daylight the whole way because then there's points where it's like really dark at night, which is. And there's I no, got a great story no signal, for you. Nothing. What, what is it? So I, I the first time I did my California ride and uh, we came out there, um, we stayed in Chatsworth at my my wife's dad's house, just a bunch of bikers. He's a biker as well. You know, he has a, a street glide CVO. And so we were hanging out there and then we, uh, I wanted to go see her aunt in Venice. So we went down to Venice, uh, bright and early the morning that we were going to ride all the way to basically, we we're going to ride to Livermore, but we were going to take PCH all the way to Monterey and then cut over through San Jose into like the Dublin Livermore area. Yeah, no, exactly. What and, um, so we ended up, uh, not, I knew that it was going to be a full day's riding, but it starting in Venice beach. And riding the coast all the way was the worst idea ever. The wor- I should have just like hit the 101 and like jumped over the Santa Monica Mountains and then just, you know, no, we rode Santa Monica, Ventura, all the way around sure. that shit. And so there's two, there's two things that it was both the best trip I ever had on PCH and the worst trip. The best trip, because before we even got to Big Sur, I saw the most amazing sunset over that ocean, you know? So for that like hour, as that sun's going down, I, I still fantasize about those visuals that I had and the vibe of me and my boys stopping and, and just kind of soaking in that thing. But then as soon as that sun was gone, that place is fucking dark, and dude. Cold. <laughs> there is nothing, man. Like we froze our asses off. And mind you, this was in April, yeah. you know, which makes up a whole nother set of problems that we face going through, uh, you know, New Mexico and West Texas. But, you know, we didn't end up getting there late but you know i've told that story so many times and and it means a lot more to me than the other five times i've ridden that that road you know what i mean yeah no the the last time we rode it last year uh most of the dudes that came here from texas were really really anticipating that trip and they ended up not liking it because of how many tourist buses and cars and and the constructions that's on there to fix the rock slides they've had for the last couple of years so I knew it was going to be that way. So when I brought those dudes to San Francisco, I took them up to Bodega Bay and then rode them down Bodega Bay down into San Francisco for a a kind of the same experience of riding on the cliffs and the coast, but much less traveled than the uh, Monterey to San Luis Obispo section. Yeah. And uh, they ended up liking that. Yeah. They ended up liking that one much more just because we had the freedom to really put our Olin suspension and shit like that to the test. Finally, in a in a curvy environment. Well, what do you think? What'd yeah, you think man, it's suspension upgrade. Dude, uh, I've ridden I've ridden quite a few things, but unfortunately, also in my testimony, I've only been riding aggressively um, since I've had Olin. So when I had Legends on my last Dyna, I had uh, Works on my last FXR. I've had quite a few different, but I just never was really trying to push the bike. I was just more or less trying to have the the cool guy shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, just the show bike. That way it wouldn't stop. But this this year, uh, this last year running the uh, the bagger, I, I did the full Olin's front and rear, but only the drop-ins in the front. I'm I'm not a fan of the inverted front ends. And not that they don't probably work amazing, but 
I just ain't got that kind of dough to put on it into a bike. And I definitely can't ride. Uh, I've ridden bikes with the inverted front ends, but most, most people, I, I think that the, uh, the, the Olin's rear shocks with the uh, Nix 22 uh, drop-ins in the front is probably the most cost-effective high performance thing you can do to your bike. You know, those it, night and day for me, man, we were coming from, uh, one of the best rips on my trip last year, we were coming down from, uh, Lake Ta- South Lake Tahoe to, uh, Sacramento and there's just like long winding just sweeping high speed t- corners not really corners just curves yeah coming into sacramento man i had never felt like my suspension was so fucking dialed in my life we were in colorado and it was bouncing all over the place but i found out that i had my front tire started to cup and so while we were in reno a homie shop of mine he, he put a new tire on my shit and night and day difference from everything it just felt like i was riding on rails dude what, what, what year you know? bike was it that you were riding at the time uh I got a 2019 Road Glide. Road Glide, nice. So, yeah, so I picked it up uh, in 2018 right after they released the new models. And that changed everything, and, huh? uh, uh Do that, I? That changed the Is whole it? ride, the whole the whole feel. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. You, um, you got you to text me or email me what you got exactly because I'm, I'm looking for my Street Glide. Like, right now, I'm so yeah. dissatisfied of how the suspension rides right now. What do you have? A, 20, a just 2020, stock? you know, I just picked up a 2020 stock. Okay. Yeah, I traded yeah. the FX DLS. Uh, got that. I mean, I've done, you know, a few blacked out parts, you know, crash bar and change crash bar, uh, you know, just the simple shit. But now I got to yeah. add a pipe and I got to add suspension. And then we also just picked up the 2020 BMWs. When I ride the GSA and I ride my yeah. streak line, get the fuck out of here. Especially, yeah, you yeah. know, the streak lights lower. It's got the 12 inch shock. It bottoms out yeah. on fucking everything. I mean, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm yeah. bottoming out everywhere. And I'm sure you've noticed California has terrible roads. I mean, we have potholes yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the Pasadena Freeway, oh. I, I'm, I'm good with that one. That's the bumpiest highway I've ever ridden on. It's just like you just well, boop, boop. Yeah, yeah 405 is, <laughs> it is, it is so uncomfortable. I, I, yeah. Sometimes I have to like, you know, I go from 80, 85 miles an hour. When I hit this two, three mile stretch, I, I drop down to like 50 because I, I can't. Damn. But on the GSA, there's there's no problem whatsoever. Yeah, so man, when I was buying that uh that Road Glide, I sat there at the dealership, uh, at the Harley dealership and the BMW dealership because I've I've had I've been jonesing for an adventure bike forever, but I'm pretty fucking short. So uh, you know, a GS twelve hundred adventure bike is a huge motherfucker for How me. How tall are you? You know what I mean? I'm five seven, but all fucking torso. Yeah, okay. all torso. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or at five nine. Sorry, I'm five nine. I need those two inches. Um, but so I could step. I can get on the bike on the on the the um adventure um twelve hundred. But it's just not comfortable. And then the other aspect is I'm not quite in my life financially stable enough to do to just buy a bike simply for pleasure. It has to also kind right, of right. But says the guy work for buys business. a bike and puts a fucking five thousand dollar paint job and you know two three thousand dollars suspension yeah. and fucking three thousand dollar wheels and tires. You know, it's marketing, right? It's marketing. It's marketing. Uh, it is, and and I get to write that shit off. But the thing is that I sell paint mainly, yeah. and there's not a lot of uh, people in the adventure bike market that's going to look for paint yeah, on the bike. I was so ask, it would have purely you ever seen any great paint jobs yeah. or anything on a GSA. No, well. The the thing is that it's it's more off road based and a lot of like dirt bikes and those adventure bikes have parts that are very flexible and bendable bendable, so a lot of times the parts are actually made in the color that they're actually mm-hmm. you know the plastic right 
And that's because if you r- drop it and you get, you know, bend a fender, it's not going to crack the paint off because they have like gimmick paint out there. They'll say it'll flex like crazy. I don't know. I've, I've been in the paint industry a long time and everything's great for the first couple of months, but then it eventually will crack off, you know? So someone's going to drop, you know, on a, on a bike of that size, five, six, seven, eight grand on a paint job. And then most people that ride adventure bikes drop them because they're riding them off road. They're going through sand and other things like that, that are going to, you know, they're, they're, they're challenging. Even the best so. of yeah, us. It's just, it's yeah. everyone, if you go off road, most likely you're dropping your bike. It's, it's like yeah, going yeah. snowboarding and not fall. It's just ridiculous. It's yeah, unrealistic. It's, 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 it's a super unrealistic. Yeah. And the other, the other main reason I've said this many times on my podcast, the reason I want an adventure bike is not so much to do off road. I want to travel internationally, like down to Argentina, things like that. So I want a bike that's capable of any road condition that I have to go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not that good on, on the dirt. I didn't grow up riding dirt bikes. So I don't really have this, uh, this wanderlust for off-road riding. Now, if for me to get to point A to point B re- uh, requires me to go off-road, go through a river, ride on the side of this cliff, then I'll do what I got to do. But, you right, know, but ha- but I don't really want to. <laughs> there helps a lot. Like today I was just riding yeah. and I was riding the GSA and I stopped. I was in Huntington Park, and I and I stopped at a light, and I was I was standing, and my bike was on a puddle of oil, of oil. Oh, like, and I I, I didn't I kind of I, I didn't even click in my fucking head. I, I you know I my foot kind of slipped, and I was like, mm, okay, got my grip, I'm good. The light turns green, I accelerate. My whole fucking back tire, like my bike just was moving. I was like, what the fuck. And lucky, lucky enough, you know, it has the uh, traction control, and the yeah, and the yeah. bike was able to correct itself, and you know the brakes, you know, I hit the bre- the front brake, it was able to you know separate because what happens is on the twelve fifties now, when you hit the back brake, the back brake's back brake, but when you hit the front brake, it controls how much back and how much front. Oh, so okay. if it wasn't yeah. for the low proportion, I was on my street glide there. I I, I think I would have dropped the bike. I really think yeah. I would have dropped the bike. And, and, but in anyways, but when you go off road or when you take these trips to South America, you know, all those terrains, it's, it's ready for that. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. 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 And you know, and also like if I was to take a road glide down there, all candy painted with fucking oh, old suspension. Like I, I feel like I'd be asking for some shit definitely. to get fucked with, but you know, I, and, and you know, it's kind of like a, I don't know. There, there's definitely a desire to do that stuff, but I, you know, I'm 38. My goal is hopefully by the time I'm 40 to at least experience one out of country ride. Not that I rode there, but I want to go to like Europe, rent a bike for a week or two or however long I can afford, and then just go see as much as I possibly can country sidewise. I, I prefer traveling on a bike to see things. It, oh, 100%. To me, yeah, it, it just seems, you know, like jumping in an airplane and going there and then jumping on a tourist bus or or taking that kind of shit just doesn't seem as authentic as what you can get on a bike almost like riding around paris and then all of a sudden you see the eiffel tower and you get closer and closer it's like you're exploring it and you're finding it yourself as opposed to like jumping in a, in a bus with some well, people and, yeah. you, and know, you become immediately a person that lives there you know, if you become familiar yeah. with it automatically yeah it's funny because I, I i did rent the bike i rented a, G, a gs uh in paris and and oh, I was like I, like, I had my girl and I said, jump on. And she's like, where are we going? I said, it, it, it don't matter. So we, you know, we passed the Eiffel Tower. We passed, you know, the Louvre. Yeah. And then we jumped on some highway and I saw this, um, I thought it was the downtown, but it's called La Defensa, which is like 
still a downtown. And we're we're on the street and it kind of turns into a highway. And then all of a sudden there's a drop and it goes into a tunnel and you go under under the like the fence, the, the under the city. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm in this tunnel for like five minutes, six minutes underground. I I, I didn't even expect this. Like I, I had really didn't yeah. use any GPS or anything. And anyways, long story short, I ended up in like a really bad area in Paris. Like really bad. Like the, <laughs> the East LA of Paris. Like Muslims oh, everywhere. Like I got off this exit and you know, it was all the refugees, it's all the people with no money. As soon as we got off the exit, there was like 20 of them coming towards me asking for money. And they're like, hey, can you? And I, and I flipped out and, you know, I, I, I went and burned rubber. My girl was like, you know, what do we do? And I go, I, I have to find this, a spot where I can stop and put GPS and get back to the hotel. And anyways, it, it, was, yeah. it was an interesting and a great experience. And there's obviously no regret, you know, from it. But yeah, it was something yeah. that I wouldn't be able to experience if I wasn't, you know, on, on, a, you know, on a bike. And same thing, yeah, even yeah. even if you just walk somewhere instead of taking the car, you, you start noticing, yeah. fuck, I didn't know that store was there and what's going on here? You you just see so much more. Yeah. I dude, that's the thing. And then also like your buddy here, uh, I I can't pronounce it. Say your name again. I, I I fucking Jaime. Jamie. Jamie, right? Jamie, is that good? <laughs> Jamie. There we go. Well, hi, man. Yeah, it's like Jamie that's the way it's spelled, Spanish right? Kind of. Yeah. So, but you know, uh, I'm a huge, hugely into photography. I've always carried around a camera. I just recently jumped into a uh, full frame camera, um, and as like a uh, what are you shooting with? Kind of a do what, what? Are you shooting with? Oh, it's a 6D Mark II for okay. now. Nice. But I, I think uh, if I can justify it and and continue to spend more time with it and feel better about it, I really want to jump up to a uh, the 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 mirrorless um, cameras that are coming out from Canon here pretty mm-hmm. soon. Uh, pretty pretty excited about that, but. No, I like, um, like we had a big event we hosted, uh, about, uh, a month ago. Now we did the camp out, which is a fast life camp out. And we had like over 200 people from all over the country or all over the country, this side of the Rockies show up. And I spent the whole time with the camera, just trying to take pictures of people so that they could have that memory, you know? And, and so for me, like this photography thing that I've recently gotten into, I've always been shooting pictures of trying to get better quality shit for our Instagram for the last like six years. But I never looked at my camera as like anything other than, okay, I'm going to shoot this helmet or this bike or take it with me to California and get some cool shots of the bike to post on Instagram. So I was never really looking into editing photos or trying to learn how to do any of that shit to the, you know, more something I would want to print photos out. You know what I mean? But, but now like it's kind of a want, like I want to go ride places. I want to take more pictures and, and I don't know, man, I feel like I'm just getting turned into an old man and I just want to do. I want to go sit in a coffee shop and I don't even like coffee, but I'll drink tea or something there and just kind of like soak it up and read a paper or some shit. You know what I mean? That's hilarious. <laughs> so, he doesn't like coffee. Either. Yeah. I don't, I don't drink coffee. Or right. tea. Nah, yeah. I, drink a tea. I love I tea. Drink a tea. Not that I love it, but I can drink it. No, <laughs> photo- Photography. I'm going to tell you this, uh, do it, you know, follow it, do it, take the classes, yeah. go online. The, the, I'm talking out of place cause I suck at photography. I, I get lucky yeah. with the, you know, the iPhone, but that's as far as I go. Yeah. But w- the world that I see, it's opened up for him. Uh, it, yeah. It's amazing. And not only that, but he enjoys it, you know? So, yeah. So the, there's so many challenging things. Like, you know, he was saying that you have a page where you do, uh, like fashion and other types of photography, yeah. man. I'll tell you what, you put a bike in front of me. I'm, I'm pretty confident I can get you some cool shots. I kind of know the angles of the bikes. I don't know how well the photo is going to 
gonna you know gonna square up with other photographers like looking at my settings and exposure and things like that but you'll make it work dude, whenever i try yeah when i when i look at like a person and i'm like how do i take a picture of this person and make i don't know their angles you know yeah. like i do a bike you know what i mean because when i paint bikes i'll have the bike sitting on you know like a scissor jack on the floor and i'll just get in a roll around chair and you know a, a drink or you know a beer or a drink or you know in, nothing and i'll just sit there and look at the bike from every angle just roll around it while i'm laying out tape on it to see how the graphics flow around the bags and so doing that for like the last 12 years you start to kind of have an eye for like when you shoot it like okay when i get done with this paint job is going to look like this and then this shot right here is going to be That's sick gonna be the money shot. you know what i mean as you're painting, with a camera you be like this is going to be the money shot yeah stand you can visualize it yeah, you can visualize it. And that, that's a, since I ride bikes, I'm not saying that there's not other amazing painters out there that don't ride bikes, but because I ride so much bikes, um, I would uh, boastfully say that I, I probably put on more miles than a lot of shops or influencers do in America yeah. <laughs> in some mm -hmm. aspects. Not the most, but I do a lot of miles. And, and, um, and, and most, I guarantee you, most than most people. Yeah, so you end up like knowing like where the ch the the rock chips are going to come on most paint jobs. So where to keep it more simple, cheaper colors to repair, things like that. And then you also get like a, a visualization. Like when you're rolling and you're passing a fucking, you know, gas tanker and it's Chrome and you're looking at yourself in the reflection, like, Oh, that's a badass shot. Yeah. I wish that was a camera right there. Mm -hmm. And so you start to kind of visualize, especially when you're on the road and, you know, after you, after you've been on the road for a minute, you start to kind of chip away at all those layers of thought. And now you're kind of left alone with just like some pure, like creativeness, if you will, you know? And, uh, I started thinking about all kinds of shit. Like, man, this would be a dope shot. Uh, a paint job right here would look dope. If this, from this angle on the side, you know what I mean? You just kind of, that's, that's kind of what I do. And sometimes I need that go away and then come back and I'm refreshed and have new create creative ideas for paint jobs and designs influences and shit, you know? uh I, I what's funny is i took a photography class in in high school but it was obviously with yeah. film and you know you had to learn how yeah, to yeah. do the black box inside the bag and all that shit yeah but uh the, the my point is is you know my 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 professor at that time my teacher at that time which may he rest in peace now he told me some of the greatest pictures ever taken were because the person was at the right place at the right time with the camera you know, and, and by yeah. traveling and, and, you know, having your camera, obviously you're going to see a lot more than, than yeah, you know, opportunities that you document or that moment. Like, look at this sunset, look at this sunrise, look at these clouds, you know, look at this you know, landscape, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, another of my multiple Instagrams is exactly about what Robert just said. Uh, I have a, a, an account for street photography and I lived in New York for six years. Um, two out of those years, um, I decided to go to work every single day with my camera in my hand. So, and mm. shoot pictures that uh, of people that didn't know that I was shooting them. So yeah. I have a whole account just with, from, from in black and white of people that didn't see, or they were not seeing me shooting them. And, mm. and at the end, you know, the rush makes you want to kind of warn them. So they know that you're shooting them because of the uncomfortable situation. So I would just point yeah. at them and, and wait until they look at me. And when they look at me, yeah. I would just shoot. And, 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 That's and, interesting. And, and it's pretty cool to see their faces and, and how people react differently and stuff. Luckily, um, I have this accent with me. 
So I can always yeah. pretend to be stupid and be like, ah, tourist or whatever, you know? He's got an accent. It's yeah, you just smile and be like, ah, sorry, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know? I, I, I saw a guy, uh, it's funny because we got deep into the photography conversation, but I saw a guy, he did, um, he did the same thing in New York and he was taking pictures of, of random people in New York and he did this for yeah. like eight, nine years. And he actually had, he found similar people from like eight years ago to current and he posted up mm -hmm. the comparison. You know, some had the same outfits, Wow. some gained weight, some got skinnier, some, you know, like you, it was just interesting how he captured a moment in time, yeah. froze it and then, you know, recapped it. And some of them, he had multiple people he was taking pictures of that same person, you know, taking, jumping yeah, on the yeah. same subway, jumping, you know, whatever the case is. It, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Yeah, man, there's a, uh, I, I, I'm pretty fortunate, man. I have a close friend here in Dallas that, uh, I'm a real big fan of his photography from the artistic standpoint that he takes What's it, his name? you know, you, uh, it, his name's Tim O'Keefe. He runs a, a, a magazine called the stag mag. So he's pretty well known, um, in the, the vintage chopper industry, like especially out in SoCal and stuff like that. But he's just got a perspective that, that really rubs off on me to where it's, um, you know, when I talk to him about the photos that I take or he critiques my shit, it's like right now for me, like photography is the only thing that I have that I didn't turn into a business and I don't want to, you know, because you don't want to turn it into a business. No, well, you're, you're, no, you're because really using it as a business, that's bullshit. I'm using it as a tool for my a business, tool, yeah. but I don't want it to be like, hey, uh, you know, hit me up. Uh, I'm doing shoots today for 200 bucks an hour or some shit like I don't want to get to that point. Well, how much would it take? Be 2000 an hour? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, the, the problem is if I took a dime, uh, you know, the way my mind works and that the, my, the hustleness inside of me is like as soon as I make a dime on something, I immediately start finding ways to make more. You know what I mean? And eventually it becomes that. And then it's not fun and it's not a hobby anymore. It's another job. It's work. You know what it's I mean? happened to me too. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's like a. It's a very thin line, you know, of, of pleasure and business. Yeah, and 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 you know the crazy thing about it, like I we we just had a what we called a hood ride here in Dallas this weekend, where we all got like the Fort Worth and the Dallas uh, performance bikes together, and then we invite, invited some of the stunt riders out, and we just kind of terrorized Dallas for a couple hours, and I got a lot of really rad shots, in my opinion, for just my perspective of it, and um, usually that would be me trying to be out in the front line and show my bike off and try to be seen by everybody, but. I'm finding that carrying a camera around is probably the, one of the most ego dissolving things I've ever had. You know, all of a sudden I'm looking at it to where like, I want to try to give somebody, everybody here, I want to give them a photo of them. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Whether they like it or whether it's badass or not, I, hopefully it's badass yeah, or at least they like badass. it. It's super badass. Keep that shit up. But yeah, man, it's a, uh, it's, it's really strange. Cause like we're, we're, Nobody would fucking we, tell you that's weird. That's fucking super badass. Well, I mean, the people are trying to sell you images all the fucking time. People sit at yeah. home and get on their fucking phones while they're at the toilet and look at pictures all fucking day, you know, yeah. like of course. Well, we're also conditioned um, over the la over most of our adult lives, I think, um, filling out online profiles and, and trying to market ourselves, even though we were just trying to say what our favorite bands were, our favorite movies were from MySpace or chat rooms before that. And so, you know, we're all, we got this training of narcissism. I think that, um, that I've struggled with understanding it over the last two years, but I, I'm starting to kind of get a grasp on it where I feel like everything I was doing before 
was all about the marketing of myself and my brand, which has kind of helped me get to where I'm right. at, you know, in some aspects. But, you know, like if I get another hundred or another 10,000 followers in the next two weeks, it's not really going to change my business much. I'm already at capacity for how much I can paint every year. Uh, it's not going to do much for me. Well, so the whole, well, like what- I throttling back on, uh, the promotion of myself and, and getting pictures of me writing and getting pictures of that shit. This has been a, a very, very, uh, fun time these last like month or so, like just going out and trying to get photos of friends, friends, writing, friends, doing whatever. And just, yo dude, this check out this shot. I got of you here, bro. That's, That's yours. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good for you, man. Yeah. Appreciate That's that. Yeah. It's, uh, and, it's cool. and it's funny. Cause you're starting off like, like slow, like fuck. Is it weird that I like it so much? And do do I want to say yeah, it? Yeah. I wanna... <laughs> fuck, it is badass. Oh shit, this is so. Yeah. I love this. Actually, I'm gonna do it more. That, bro, keep that shit up, man. Yeah, Robert. And, Robert so, has uh, a person really close to him that uh, shoots him down. Who shoots him down every time he tries. Every time. And he knows uh, every time how but it feels. When when I want a logo done or or when I want a picture taken, I take a shitty fucking picture. I just like. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I send it to him like, Hey, you think this will work? Yeah. And he's like, fuck you, Robert. I'll, I'll be right there. <laughs> let me, let yeah, me take yeah. care of that. But so the other, the other uh, aspect to that is like, I, you know, I grew up in garages working on cars and bikes and, you know, when I was younger and I didn't have the responsibilities, man, all my buddies used to have, uh, that's how I practiced paint was painting their cars and bikes when I was younger, you know, 22 years old, living in my grandparents' house you know, no job, just painting in the garage all and day. You're living at your, your, your grandparents' house because your parents went around or they're working? No, well. Uh, if you want to talk about it. Sorry, I just had to ask. Cause. No, it's a, I, I, well, my parents, they, uh, they both got their shit together by the time I graduated high school. But, you know, my, my mother had a younger, I have a younger brother. Um, and she was kind of, he, he was born in 96. So in 2001. That's a big difference. 2002. You're what, 81, 82? 82. So it's 13 years apart. Yeah, so your birthday just passed. And so, uh, yeah. Birthday. So, well, my, my birthday is September. Oh, so. so, but so you're 81 then, right? Cause you said you were 80, you're, you're 37, 37, oh, so I'm 82, 38. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, I was staying at my grandparents' house, man. Like I, I got, I had a kid young and then that relationship didn't work. The apartment that we had didn't work. So the, 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 the fallback was always the grandparents' house. Right. So, um, and it was a pivotal time, man, just like anything, I got to put in a lot of hours learning how to paint and, uh, it was necessary for me to kind of grow as fast as I did in the paint industry. But that was the only part of my life that I got to give my buddies, my paint jobs with no, at no cost to them other than them maybe covering the materials or something. And then, yeah. And then, so as I've gotten older, you know, it's, it's so much more in demand for a helmet and you know, you would think a helmet like, Hey, that should be easy to knock one out when no, they take me like a week a piece almost. Yeah. Right. And I can't, I, I just can't give away a week's worth of my work to a friend just because he's my buddy. You know, when, when, when were you able but to I, separate the, the, the buddy ship, uh, price and, and, you know, go, like, you know, pricing, giving numbers. Like I fucking hate giving uh, numbers. When were you able to break that up and how did you break that up? Man, it, I think that, when I was younger, when I was in my twenties, man, like I think that everybody was looking for, you know, to take advantage. It's a natural thing. Like all oh, this kid, he needs me more than I need him, you know? And a lot of people, some people were really, really great customers that helped me kind of grow. But a lot of people were just like trying to take advantage. So 
you know, and I was too young to understand my worth and I might not have been as good as I needed to be to kind of have the, the confidence to shoot down people or whatever, but probably, you know, about 10 years into it, about 2013, 20, early 2014, I was able to, uh, when I started traveling and I became a painter that painted bikes for people all over the country, as opposed to just here in Dallas, then it was easier to get higher prices for people in Dallas. And then when social, when Instagram started getting, you know, we start, I started using that, you know, it, it, as the prices would go up because, you know, like put like this, the first couple of helmets I ever did were like 500 bucks to paint them. Right. Which is about the going that, rate for that, most people on a, sorry, that's the price it costs or that's how much it cost you. No, that's just the price that, it, that I was doing helmets for when I first started painting some of the Simpson helmets that I do. But now, um, due to the, the demand and kind of the, uh, uh, the way I've tried to uh, market, if that's the right word, to, for our helmets, I think most of the people buy helmets for me to A, the art side of it, like they want to own a piece from the Fast Life Garage or me or whatever the case may be. And secondly, what I've told people what my helmets mean to me, I think now they feel the same way. So now our helmets are kind of like a $2,000 to get a paint job plus the cost of the helmet versus then. Yeah. So when I, you know, when my buddies want, most of my friends now will pay me full retail and it's up to me whether or not I want to kick them a couple hundred dollars off or not. And because of that mutual respect that they give me, if I can afford to give them a, a two or $300 discount off that thing or 500, depending on the situation, then I will. But the fortunate thing is that I surrounded myself with people that, that um they respected me basically you know and not and to say that your you. friends don't but if you really if you re yeah if you think about it like if they're going to look at you as like I should be able to get this for free but it takes hours of your time now if you were if I worked at if I sold motorcycle parts right not to say that this is is uh 100% accurate but if I sold motorcycle parts and you're a close friend of mine and you wanted to get a new tire on your bike and that tire is 240 my cost is 160 and I give it to you for 180. You know, that's me hooking you up because you're my boy, right? Yeah. But that didn't take any time out of my life, right? right? That was a transaction. Even if I gave it to you at dealer cost, that's still a transaction. It didn't cost me time. And when you're busy doing things, time is lots of money. So it takes me a week to do a helmet and that's $2,000. If you want me to discount that, that's almost like saying, hey, can you go to work for four days and not make any money because we're friends? Yeah. And if your friend is willing to look at you like that and expect that from you just because you're friends, I don't think they're really your friend, you know? Yeah, and, and, and to add also what you said earlier, you're, you're, you're capped and limited on how much you can make and how many clients you can get. You could have a line of 10,000 exactly. people outside, but that ain't going to make a difference because you can't get to them. Exactly. So, and that's the only reason why, like, the only logical thing to do is to charge more for the helmets. When, when you have, you know, 40 people willing to pay you 20 you know, $2,000 to get a helmet paint job. And I'm at a point now where some of them are even offering me another five to $1,000 on top of it to skip the line. Yeah, of course. And I did, I let one dude do it. Yeah. I let one dude do it. But then I'm like, well, fuck man. If I let all these dudes start doing that, then what about the dude that's been waiting for four months for this helmet? Like, that's not fair. So it's a, it's a, Every time you, you know, I think this is with everything in life. Every time you, you get past one obstacle, you're just coming into the next level of obstacles that you're going to have to deal with. There's never like this, uh, 
There's never like once you get over this mountain, everything's fucking perfect. Everything works. It's like a well-oiled machine. It, it really doesn't work. I that mean, way. it's a better problem to have, right? Uh, that you have too many. Oh people. yeah, definitely. <laughs> right, but yeah, but, 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 yeah, it's it's a great problem. But I understand what you're saying. Ethically, you you start thinking, you know, what's the right thing to do? What's the right approach? I don't want to fucking burn bridges. Yeah. And 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 you won't even burn the bridges. I'm sure your relationships are so fucking strong that that's not even a oh, concern. Most, but ethically, yeah. you feel bad and you have that guilt. And that, that's, that's Well, yeah. So the great thing about it is like when you have, you have customers to choose from, basically, I, I would weed them out by how they are conversation-wise if they were going to be too needy for me to be able to take care of their needs, you know, and, you know, or if their expectation, expectations weren't really aligned with my style that I, I offer as art. Um, you know, just try to cut those, those potential problems in the bud. That way, you know, you're not getting stressed out two weeks into a project when you already told this dude it's a six-month wait list. Yeah. You know what How I mean? How many people at your shop? And so, just, just me. You. And I have an apprentice. Yeah. And you have an apprentice. Fuck, that's have, hard, bro. Yeah, How do you do it? Uh, It's the best. My, I feel, you know, I, I said earlier, man, I, I was involved. I had a big shop, uh, had a million-dollar investor. It was going places. I didn't have control over the business even though I started it. That was the stipulation of the million dollars. And I, I got to get a taste of what a big shop is like. And it's not, it's for me, at least it was not creative. It was not art. It was copy and paste. It was, uh, you know, you weren't looked at as like, I'm so stoked to be doing work with Jace. I just, it was more like, he's got this item that I'm buying and he better have it or I'm pissed. Right. Yeah. It's not a relationship that I want to have with my customers. When, when, when I downsized my company and I made it super small and I just focused on what I'm capable of doing every year at the best of my ability. And I put a price tag on it that, that, you know, like I don't have, I have two prices. I have this, the $1,500, the base price and the $2,000 is the ones that have the, the, the airbrush on mm -hmm. the top. That's it. There's no, there's no one or the other. I mean, there's no in between, in between those yeah. two. Yeah. It's 1500 bucks and it's $2,000. Yeah. Well, yeah. Plus the well, cost of the it. helmet. And the reason I do that is that my goal is to put in a hundred percent effort and to make this thing sick as hell. I don't care how long it takes me. Right. Sometimes it doesn't take me long. Sometimes it takes me a long time, but instead of playing a, a negotiation game and wasting time doing that, if I just charge what I need to have five days into this helmet to be profitable and not make me worried about money, and I can do way better quality work at that price tag as opposed to if this guy's like, oh, well, I'm willing to pay 1200 bucks. And I'm like, fuck, man, you know, now I, now I, I'm devaluing what I'm going to give you because you just devalued me. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Makes sense. So it, it, there's, there's a lot of psychological shit that I've kind of learned to uh, help keep me tip top in the art that I'm going to try to provide. And, um, just weed out potential people that are going to be issues later on that you're not going to be able to please. And that's, there's you're, you're some not, customers out there. No, nobody's going to be able to yeah. please everybody. It, it, it's impossible. Yeah. Is it, is it possible to hypothetically, I'm just asking in your, in your business, is it mm -hmm. hypothetical? Let's say you have a month that it's slow. Let's say it's December yeah. and it's fucking slow. Can you buy like four or five helmets and just start fucking you know, getting off on them, fucking painting them, you know, yeah. is it easy? I, I do that every once in a while. What's that? You know, I, I have a, I have a sponsorship with Simpson and, and sometimes I, I get helmets in 
And uh, so the last couple of months, I had like three extra helmets, and I just did something very simple. Like one of them I painted flaked out purple, put a pinstripe design on it. I really don't offer that. Like you're going to pay me 1500 bucks for that if, just for the paint, just because that's my starting price for the tier. Right. But I did that, and I put the helmet out for sale at like I think it was 900 bucks shipped to your door. Right. Whoa. Because I I really want people to have something from me. like And share it. It means, yeah, it means a lot to me. And, you know, like I didn't have to pay for that helmet. You know, that was that was a sponsored deal. So to me, that was like a complete profit. So that was $900 profit. Well, you still put your it, time in there. You still sacrifice. You yeah. You put sweat, and you, your, your rent, your shop, your materials. Yeah, there's all that. But, you know, the, the, the thing about it all is that, the the less money that's involved with everything as far as like it, it being about money the the more you're thinking about the art like i'm good financially like i'm taking like i'm i'm handling things pretty regularly i'm not rich by any means but i'm not struggling like i'm i if i want to go to the gas station right now and drop 10 bucks i don't have to think about that you know what yeah. i mean and so you know to to that i'm fucking thankful for so like i said keeping myself less stressed gives me the time to look at my helmets and put them in, put in the work that's necessary. And um, the, like I said, I do, I, I consider what I'm doing on these helmets to be art. So I want people to buy it as art and not buy it as material possessions. Like, you know, I, I try to talk people out of matching their bikes with their helmets because that is kind of inherently a materialistic way of looking at your helmet as opposed to, you know, I like to look at helmets as a, uh, it's an extension of you. Like, so me, I have a helmet for every year I ride and my listeners are fucking over the story already. No, no, <laughs> but, no I want to hear it. Uh, so every year I, I do a new helmet for myself and that's the helmet that I, I ride with for that year. And, um, I don't really get to keep the bikes that I, that I build for myself or customize. So when those bikes, I have to sell them to do another one or to, to, you know, cover the fact that I just spent half the year on a bike, you know? Um, I don't get to keep it, man, but I get to keep the helmet that I did all those trips on all those experiences. And so when I have them hanging on my wall here in the studio, I look at my 2017 helmet and I think about the fact that I rode coast to coast with that thing, or I work at, look at the next one next to it. I'm like, I remember that trip I did. You know what I mean? You're, you're living, it's you're like living an urn. Dream. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. You're living the dream. So, and in the dream and you have something to remind you. It's fucking amazing. It, yeah. And so, um, how, how many helmets are I, there I'm a, there? I'm a, uh, I have three, I'm on my, I'm wearing my fourth one, but I have three that I actually started this trend on, but then I found out that I had my helmets from 2015 and 2016 in my house. I, they were just junked and thrown in, in a, in a, in like a, a case of helmets that I had. So I actually pulled those out and they're not nowhere near as nice as the ones I have. Cause I used to absolutely fucking hate painting helmets. Um, but these three plus the one I'm wearing now, and then I have two. So basically, I think from 2014 all the way to now, you know, you, and you ever have somebody silly enough just to ask you like, hey, man, can you fucking paint my helmet for free, bro? Like, you know, I got social media. I got, you know, followers. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But also I have I have this like secret book that's not secret now because I'm telling you, <laughs> but I had this little <laughs> like book or this note, like it's a note in my iPhone and it's just like all the dudes or friends that I have that I want to have a helmet for. I want to, like if I had the money to do it for them, that I would do it a hundred percent. Cause for me, it doesn't, it, it doesn't benefit me much to sponsor anybody. Cause 
I'm already at capacity with what I can put out as it is, right? Yeah. But like I said, man, like there's something very, it feels so amazing to see my friends from all over the country that I've made through the podcast and writing. And when you see one of them rocking the helmet that you did for them, you know, they, they might look at it like, oh, it's going to be cool Instagram posts or it'd be cool to have a, a, a helmet for me. But I, I think about those fucking, those hours at my house on my drawing table till three in the morning, wadding up paper, trying to get the right lines on a sketch, you know, before I even touch the helmet, you know? So I have a lot of my life invested into every helmet that, that I try to, uh, you know, I just, it, it's, it sounds sentimental and shit, but it, it just, You're uh, a sentimental guy, bro. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I definitely am. Would you would you I say that um, most people that buy a helmet from you or that you paint for them, um, do they wear it? Yeah, I think most people do wear it. Um, but I I don't I've only known of one two people that's ever bought uh, had me do a helmet and actually sold it to somebody else. No, no, I mean if they keep it as an art piece. I I I'm I'm thinking about myself. If I, I would so. ever send you yeah. a helmet and I'm paying an two thousand dollars. I will be probably a, an art piece in my house more than I would yeah, never dare it, to wear that helmet in the street. So, so I actually just had this conversation with the guy that was asking me about doing a helmet the other day. And, um, he was asking me, he's like, Oh, so, you know, if, if you paint the helmet and I drop it and I chip it, you know, like what's the process of getting it fixed? I'm like, you don't get it fixed. And he's like, well, well, I want, I don't, I was like, first off, you're not supposed to drop your helmet in the first fucking Ever. place. Cause now blah, blah, blah. I, I've dropped mine millions of times and still worn them. But, the thing is, in my perspective, is that it is the experience. You're going to remember that when you drop that. You're going to remember the wreck you had in that thing. Put it on the wall still. That is that is a battle-worn helmet on the wall now to show you what you went through last year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're going to solve, if you're going to fix everything wrong with it, man, like, is it really going to represent the last year you had on that Not bike or the last two years? Yeah. Not at but all. But I get it. You know, like if it's but that, it, the but problem that, is but that's it, interesting because like I, I understand what he's saying too. Like, like California is is you know there's people that have fucking insane money, and there's people yeah. that will just buy you know a fucking motorcycle and put it as a display in their house. They'll never even ride it. You know, if it's yeah. a collector's or a movie True. piece yeah. or an art piece or somebody you know painted it, they'll they'll, they'll just do that. Has has anybody out there? You guys are just a bunch of warriors and just wear everything huh yeah well the the I, I guess the other great thing about all this stuff is like building the podcast audience over the years uh they've you know wanted to have a piece from me so like it's kind of the blessing to have someone that's so invested in in knowing you and knowing what you're about to to get art from you because they they are the best customers to ever work with that i've had so far um but when you get that customer that doesn't know you that, do, that, that doesn't listen to the podcast or doesn't follow us. Like their buddy tagged them in a picture of a helmet I did and they just start following me and they said, how much bro, you know, those kind of guys, like they almost never come through, you know, it, it, they're asking how much, you know, not that you shouldn't ask that, but they're just not, I, I don't think that those customers really are going to like vibe with my personality. Cause I, I'm kind of an asshole in a, in a sense. Like, and I tell everybody, I was like, look, I'm, you're, we're going to be best friends at the end of this. But right now, I care more about putting out quality, badass, what you want helmet, not how, how I'm not trying to sell you a Mercedes and pat your back and, you know, tug one off for you. Like, yeah. this isn't a customer service shop. You know, I'm working all day. I'm, I'm trying to give the customer that's already here the same attention that you're going to get from me when it's your turn. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? See, but at, but and, at, those, at those level of prices, I would, for, for, for example, I personally would give, give you a call and say, hey, um, full on freedom, do whatever you want. Yeah. The, you know, I, I would I have, usually I say. I have a piece in my wall for you, you know, and I'll hang it in my house yeah. and, you know, have it like, a, like an art piece. I, I, I think that it, it says a lot about, you know, picking the right artist and, and having the art piece yeah. intact and, and how you envisioned it. And I think I will be yeah. fucking it up if I if I take it off roaring with with whatever you painted that yeah. came out of your own full inspiration. Yeah, I mean, there there are dudes that that that, that do just sit them on the shelf, but it's really rad whenever you're seeing like your buddies or these people that you become friends with because of a helmet transaction. Uh, you know, posting pictures of them riding through the Tele Dragon and shit. You know, getting the the photos.com pictures and it's got your helmet. It's like fuck, that's cool. That helmet is now, I got to create the art or I got to do something that you're going to hold on to and cherish and you're going to have that picture and that helmet and see, you know what I mean? It's just the sentimentalness right. is, yeah. is overflowing. So you, you see more value I mean? on people wearing it than on people, you know, maybe yeah, appreciating I want people to have the experience the artistic in it. part of it and maintaining yeah. like an art piece kind of. All this motorcycle shit, these helmets, these trips, however you decide to ride it, it, it's all based around the passion for motorcycles and the passion for the experiences you get yep. on. And so uh, some people l hear that price tag and, and they're they're. I always associated this and this is very uh, asshole of me to do. It's it's I'm judging them basically, but I feel like when people are, you know, trying to frame this, this, this without sounding like too much of a dick, but um, be a dick. I find it. Go ahead, man. Yeah, well, I, because I'm trying not to be a dick. I actually forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 no, it but, happens. No, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I see both sides, you know, because true, if, true. If you're gonna spend two thousand, three thousand, I mean, there's people, there's people that even you know charge more. You know, there, there, yeah, there yeah. is. You know, the best place for it is on the road. But then sometimes, mm -hmm. I mean, fuck, people buy a painting for know a hundred thousand dollars just to hang up on the wall sure sometimes they don't even put it on the wall sometimes they just put it directly in a storage just as an investment yeah exactly I, have you seen your helmets uh turn into an investment where some you know you do it for two thousand and somebody else is trying to sell it for three grand or something you... no not so much yet but you know kind of arrogantly um i noticed uh like guys like jesse james and arlen ness and these these greats in our industry over the years as they would build stuff and build their name and, and their legacy, if you will. And now something that maybe they didn't even physically hand make, but because it had their name on it, that those parts aren't manufactured anymore are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? And so when, when you start looking at that, like I start, like I said, maybe that narcissism is coming back out, but I look at it like, you know, if I'm going to, if I want to leave my mark on this motorcycle industry, the first thing I want to do is I want to know that because I was here, I did my part to make it better for everybody in the future generations. But secondly, whatever I do, whatever bike I make, whatever helmet I do, or these podcasts or whatever the case may be, I really want to know that I, I, it, it, would, it would be something so amazing for me on my dying deathbed to know that there are people out there going, you know, having bidding wars on eBay or whatever the thing's going to be for something that I created 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So like less, I said, it'll be less. I, I, pr I yeah. promise you, I, you know, the, the little that I've got to know you and hear your story, you're, you're absolutely doing, taking all the right steps. 
you have a good heart, yeah. you're ethical, you're not greedy, you have all the qualities of absolutely having your helmets out there and your artwork out there. And in five years, you got to do the YouTube. You better do the YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but once yeah. you do all that, you know, and, and you continue, you know, exceeding and, and you know, accomplishing what you're doing what you're doing right now you'll you'll get so much further and so many more followers and so much more value and i think people are already yeah, appreciating uh, the value that, that you've created yeah man you know i appreciate you saying that man it means a lot um the i don't know man like i think you know in a sense like you know i'm 37 so uh, the whole idea of what what I'm going to actually leave behind i'm probably never going to be a millionaire in the sense that i have a million dollars I think I'll make a million dollars in my lifetime. I think I might have already done it, but I don't have a million dollars. So money doesn't motivate me as much as as leaving something attached to my name, attached to this industry. And as a painter, um, a predominantly painter, I, I have worked on bikes quite a bit in my life, but I wouldn't, you know, call myself a builder, you know, from the terms of, you know, every Facebook chat that goes off the rails for what is a builder, right. you know, but, um, but it's, you know, we're kind of, I think the painters are, are oftenly overlooked as their real role in the motorcycle customizing process nationwide. And maybe that's because a lot of painters aren't as heavy into motorcycles as someone like I am, but there are a lot of them. I mean, Valley Customs right over there is a good friend of mine, Gerald, really into bikes, you know, Buckwild, uh, I, I want to say Hot Dog is too out there. Um, there's a lot of really invested motorcycle guys in the paint industry and um it'd be nice to just see that like those guys start getting a fair shake at their popularity when they're literally creating the most visual things on these bikes yeah man. but it's always overlooked half the time you look into a build sheet it'll just say painted by the same shop that built it and it's just because they're taking credit for it because like, they well, want like you to go worked for jesse james yeah. and you know he, he didn't get as much credit exactly so it's a uh, you know, and that's why, like, when we started this podcast, man, like, uh, first off, you know, like you were saying about yours, you kind of want to have more than just one thing to talk about, one premise to place place your whole thing on, because it, that shit will get old real quick. Real quick. You know what I mean? Especially online. Yeah. And and to be honest with you, the motorcycle industry and the, and the shops, and we all kind of start the same fucking way. It's just different temperature outside when it happens. You know what yeah. I mean? It's the same shit. Uh, so the story gets very redundant and, and, um, it could be, you know, boring for even for myself to listen to sometimes, but not to take away, but in that it, it becomes a challenge on us podcasters to try to dig deep and look for those rabbit holes in people's conversations to kind of take the conversation. You know what I mean? But, but, but there's a bunch of people, uh, I, I strongly believe there's a bunch of people that, that want this casual conversation. They want to know the entrepreneurship, yeah. you know, parts aside. Yeah, they for sure. Know how a person succeeds. They want to know advice in writing, where to ride. You know, they want to, they want to know the journeys. They want to know the exploration. There's a lot of people that want that information, you know? So that, that's yeah. why it's like the, the ride boundless podcast is not just all motorcycles. You know, it, it, it should mm -hmm. be cars. It should be bikes. It should be uh, regular traveling, jumping on a plane and then knowing the world. Yeah, Exactly. And I, I completely agree. And so when we first started ours, I looked at it like, what are all the things I'm into? Cause not the other, the other aspect is, and, and I have this conversation with a lot of my audience that sends out requests for people they like to hear from. I got to feel like I can have a conversation with them. Like sometimes I, you know, like, like 
you just throw me in the, in the, in the mix and I can do it and we can make it happen. But when I start investing or, or investigating into somebody and I can't find an angle that I'm interested in, not to say that anything bad about the person, but like, I, I'm not super interested in certain aspects of motorcycling. So I don't want to do this due to disjustice of taking his story or his message and doing a shit job at it. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's difficult. I would, you, you, you look for your match. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, like, like right now, like I've never really been a huge, uh, fan of the stunt riding industry or scene, but why is that? I've been for, uh, it, I grew up around it in the sport bikes. I, I've seen it so much and, and it just never phased you. I don't know. It, I, I don't, I'm fucking 37, man. I don't give a shit about doing wheelies, you yeah. know, but on that note, my apprentice is a, an amazing stunt rider on Harleys. And this last weekend, you know, hanging out with some of the other guys in town and just seeing how that, that world's progressed here in Dallas. Um, I'm real motivated, not so much not to do it, but I think <laughs> these dudes are fucking talented. And now yeah. I want to like, I want to, I want the world to know them. You know what I mean? So I want to like find a way to like invest. I know about it. I know a lot about stunt writing. I'm just not interested in it. Right. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Well, but regardless, what you're saying is you've created a platform to blast it to the yeah. world of, hey, exactly. You know, I'm not into it. I know about it, but you got to check these motherfuckers out. They're amazing. Exactly. And so that's what I'm trying to do is because, you know, by getting and going and doing these rides with them, getting to know them, finding my angles of, of what to exploit, if you will, with them, um, it makes it to where I feel like I can do them a good service to bring them on this podcast and my audience uh, will enjoy them and want to be more engaged with them, whether they follow or, or buy their shit or whatever the case may be. But, you know, but I, I do, I'm into photography. I'm into travel. I have my group of friends that we come on here and we just talk shit. You know, like I like the fact that, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I'm a podcast listener. So sometimes on Rogan, I don't really care for the science, you know, every once in a while, like I'm in the mood for some science. I want to learn some shit. Sometimes I just want to hear him trip out with his buddies that he does comedy with. And I have the best time listening to that. And there's still relevant topics being said, but they are saying it in, in just a more free flowing kind of way. And I dig that versus like, you know, him having Jack Dorsey on to talk about the complicated uh, topics of, of censorship. And I get it. I just couldn't, right. there's a listener I couldn't stay that. interested. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, I, I try to give the variety basically myself I, i'm, I'm going to tell you man i think all bullshit aside you're a fucking millionaire i mean you're you're living the life there's nothing you know so, I'm, some I'm, people, I'm, I'm, some people yeah. say like fuck man i want to be successful i want to be a millionaire because i want to travel because i want to take my bike because i want to open up my own shop because i want a wife because i want kids you've already accomplished all that shit you're doing i i think if you had a million dollars in your account right now your life wouldn't change much at all other than you would have a million dollars no, in no. your account. I would be on the road more and I'd probably, uh, I'd probably have to pay my wife to go on the long trips with me. So it'd probably be getting, uh, used up there. Just but fly her over there, honey. I'll meet you there. Yeah. That's what we do now. Yeah. We usually fly her out to the place, do but you um, ride with your, your, your bags or you ship your bags. Uh, honestly, man, I didn't, I, I've, I've shipped like my, tent and a couple things to like Sturgis before and I'll, I'll, I'll ship it to Sturgis or Daytona and then pick up the big shit while I get there and then ship it home or something like I have a couple methods that I do when I do the, the, like the two or three week trips that I've taken where I'll like 
get to a certain point, ship a bunch of shit home, go to Walmart, buy a new pack of underwear, new pack of socks. That way I'm not like having to go you're to laundry mats yeah, and waste fresh. a whole day, you know. Um the 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 complicated so I was gonna do a huge trip to New York in the northeast, which I haven't been up there yet. The furthest northeast I've been is uh the border of West for or for the border of Virginia and Tennessee, I guess. I don't think it's West Virginia. Um but this year I was supposed to be going June 8th. I was gonna go up to New York. I got a customer that lives in Harlem and I was gonna stay a couple of days there with him and he was gonna show me the city. And then we, he, me and him were going to ride Long Island, uh, all of Boston. We had an Airbnb in Cape Cod. We are going to do Maine, Mount Washington, um, Laconia for two days, and then head on over to Niagara and ride Pittsburgh and kind of come back through the Smokies. And it was going to be about two and a half week trip. And then this Corona should happen. So, and it didn't subside quick enough for us to uh, want. I don't want to go to New York and see it in the state that it's in. Yeah, you know what I mean? I want to go see New York time. normally. To see New York. Uh, they, were, they yeah. were just at New York, what? Three months ago, four months yeah, ago? Yeah, we were there in September. It was great. It was great weather. I mean, it was a little hot, but... Uh, and we were riding a little bit around there, but we were we went for three days to um, Indian Larry's block party. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been going every year since I since I moved to New York, uh, even when I was living here. So... Yeah. Yeah, I, I went with a friend and we were riding around. But yeah, we didn't leave the state. It was just a three-day trip, so... And there was yeah. a bunch of events so, there. My, what I wanted to do with that trip is I was really gearing up the reason I, I you know, it's, I, I've been shooting a Nikon for the last like four years, but it was just like a D7200. So it wasn't a full frame camera. It was just kind of a mid range, um, you know, like just normal DSLR. So I jumped up to the full frame. I got the road mic for the camera. I got all this shit so I can start doing this like vlog or whatever the fuck I was going to do with this YouTube. And then I'm like on my bike. I got a drone. I got this computer for the podcast. I got this camera. And I'm like, shit, man. I, I need a team. Am I gonna... <laughs> yeah, I need a team. Yeah. So I was looking forward to kind of kicking off uh, doing that with that trip, but it's all got put on hold. So um, now we're just kind of like looking at Sturgis this year. And then I, if Born Free, Born Free got moved up to September, but even if they don't allow it happen, I'm still just going to ride out to California and, uh, September sometime. I, I drove out there to see family in um in January, did a couple podcasts in San Diego and uh in there and then drove back home. So I I'm usually in California at least three or four times a year. Well you gotta you know make sure I mean? next so, time you're down here you hit us up. What part what part are y'all in? Uh I'm by uh Universal Studios. I'm like a block away from Universal Studios. So studio Okay, City, so you're towards like Hollywood Hills. Yeah, I'm closer to your aunt, okay. close to Venice and Culver City. Nice. Okay, hell yeah. Dude, it's it's awesome down there, man. I love that vibe. Like my aunt, uh, or my wife's aunt actually lives there in Venice, and uh, she's just cool. She's like an OG Venicite, you know what I mean? Like she nice. was there before all the, the gentrification, and um, her house is old, but it's fucking the dopest. Like, you know, we look at, you know, the, the kind of houses you can get here in Texas is pretty surreal, you know, for 200, 300, 400 grand. And, you know, her property is, like, worth over a million, but the house looks like it would go for, you know, 50 grand here. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> yeah, everybody when I, said those, man. It's funny. When I sit at her house and her yard and her house, man, I feel like this is perfect, dude. Like, this is, like, it's a two-bedroom, one bath, everything you need, but, like, just just perfect little slice of California right there a couple blocks from the ocean. Over a, over you know, a land that is worth $3 million. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. It's uh it's pretty insane. I mean, from Texas here, man, like I grew up looking at movies, you know, and all kinds of shit 
from Hollywood and California in general. So I remember the first time I went to San Francisco, dude, like the, the, not the most recent Godzilla movie that came out, but the one that came out probably in 2014 where like Godzilla, like rampage through fucking, you know, San Francisco fucking Barham. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like standing right here at battery sensor going, fuck, that's where Godzilla fought like two days ago on the movie, man. It's like, it's pretty crazy to see these places in real life. You know, James Franco, there's, Planet of the Apes, also right there in uh, in the in the Golden Bridge. Uh, yeah, Al- Alcatraz. Yeah. No. yeah, we did Alcatraz. I, I've done when I would take people up there on these trips. Like we would usually, uh, we haven't done it the last two times, but we've done Alcatraz three times on the trips, and and uh, it's it's always badass, man. Yeah, like just being on the ocean for a little bit, fucking awesome. So no, I I I, I really yeah. love San Francisco. Um, and then what's cool is when you go to a lot of the local spots, you start recognizing places that they put on movies. Like I was watching Westworld and on the last oh. episode I was watching, they were like Singapore. And then the scene is inside Tao, you know, it's a, it's a, a Chinese yeah. Japanese restaurant. And I'm like, that's Tao. Like, you know, that ain't no fucking yeah. Singapore. And, and you see a <laughs> lot of that in movies where you're like, that's not nowhere yeah. where they're saying it is. And obviously we know that, but it's a whole different experience when you actually witness it in, and you recognize it. You know, the other day I was watching a show, uh, it's called um, More Little Fires or, or Little Fires Everywhere that is now in, in Netflix, I think it is. Um, and and in, according to the story, the girl is in New York and she's, and they're recording the, the shot and, and, and they're in front of Colin Shop. Oh, it's right here in downtown LA. In downtown and I was like, that's not fucking yeah. New York. That's right here. That's our <laughs> friend's store. And he's literally the same way that he has already. He didn't even change anything at all. Nothing. No green screen, no you anything. They just <laughs> shot down one, LA. One of the One of the best examples of that fuckery, basically, is uh, if you ever go watch RoboCop, the, like the first one, they filmed that in Dallas. and But it was all about a Detroit cop. Right. Like they said it was Detroit. Almost like people... Like, wouldn't know the like how, yeah, like, dude, like the buildings are shaped differently, bro. It's so fucking obvious. It's not Detroit. And, um, but yeah, that's that I know what you mean by oh, that. It's shit. The Hollywood it's magic. Like, so, so, uh, the Kill Bill Church is up there in Lancaster, California. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been there, yeah. man. They actually yeah. kicked me out. El Paso in real life. Right. <laughs> they actually kicked me out from shooting, um, some pictures a- of models at the church, like at the door of the church. Um, nice, because obviously nice. it's private property and that's what the guy lives out of, you know, Photogra- yeah. photography oh. and videography. Um, same, same thing. Scarface, yeah. uh, the, the mansion yeah. it's right here in Hollywood. It's off. I, I think yeah. King street yeah. or queen street, you know, it's up on the hill. Um, uh-huh. almost all, a lot of the scenes, I think they only did two weeks of filming in Miami and then the rest was all, Yeah, it's probably here. just the beginning. Yeah. Like some of the beach things, like they were hanging out and shit. They might've done that in LA to be honest yeah, with that you. Pro- well, no, that was Miami. <laughs> that, that definitely was Miami. Uh, I, I recognize that part. I go to Miami quite a bit, or I used to go quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. So do you do you guys do you travel a lot? Like I, I know that you were working in the dealerships. Yeah, I, and, I well, uh, yeah, I, I worked a lot at the dealerships. After that, um, I've I've done a lot of international travels. You know, I've gone mm. right now. My list is: I've been to Russia, I've been to Dubai, Qatar, uh, Cuba. Colombia, Mexico, fuck, I, um, Spain recently, Italy, fuck, Italy's so fucked up right now. It's a, it's a trip just being yeah. there. Maybe I had eight months ago. What, eight months ago, I had a friend. Yeah, I, I had a friend like maybe five or six, probably six podcasts ago that was here on an, on a like 
L.A. to Texas to Vegas, back to L.A., then flying back home to Italy. He's a painter, and he stopped in here. He had to cut his flight. He had to cut his trip short and haul ass back to L.A. just to get back to uh, um, Italy before they completely shut everything off right before the coronavirus Fuck, shit happened. Who knows if that was the right yeah. decision for him, you know, with all the madness and all that. Yeah, he was gonna and- be, he was going to be trapped here, man. He, he would have probably had to, I mean, not that he couldn't have found someone to bum it with for, what, three months now or two months? Yeah, but you know, the problem is, is I know too many people because of the whole COVID-19 and the whole coronavirus. There's two, I, I know at least five cases of people panicking and, and going back mm-hmm. home. And now they're home, you know, in their countries. And, and it's not a good place to be. You know, as soon as yeah, you land yeah. there, you're automatically 14 days in quarantine. If you're going to stay at family's house, well, guess what? They don't want to see you until you have at least 14 days of quarantine because you just got on a fucking plane. Yeah. You took the risk of uh, getting sick, you know. I mean, I, I just know, here's the thing. If there's a situation or a problem, the best place to be is where you're at. You know, like even yeah. even in Los Angeles, that I was reading, I was listening to this uh, scientist or doctor. He was saying when there's earthquakes, like if you talk to anybody in California, they're like, if there's an earthquake, fuck, where are we going to meet? Let's go north, you know, let's go west or east, you know, let's go wherever, you know. When, when an earthquake happens, the best place for you to be is stay the fuck at home because everybody else is trying to move. And when you're in a place mm-hmm. that has this much traffic, you know, and there's an emergency, yeah. forget about it. Same thing with the coronavirus. Yeah. I knew people in other countries that were vacationing, you know, that they were going to stay out. They actually moved out there for a bit. And, you know, this kicked yeah. down and they're like, I'm going back to the U.S. I'm like, don't do it. I'm going to jump on a China airway flight was it literally was a China airway flight. And then you're going to come here and you're not going to be able to visit your parents. You're not going to be visit, visit your pa- nobody. Like why take that risk? Just chill the fuck out. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what I'm saying. And now this guy probably got to Italy and who knows fucking he's probably, he's like, I should have just stayed in Texas, fucking eating some barbecue, yeah, yeah. riding bikes, help paint some helmets. <laughs> shit. And now he's complying yeah. and the police would ticket him if he goes out of the street. Yeah, Europe, they're giving yeah. a $600 fine if they catch you outside. You can't even leave your own house. Dude, it's, you know, the whole virus thing, the, the, the progression that's taking place here has been, uh, it's been, it's been normal as fuck. Like in Dallas City, like I live, I'm 25 miles, miles south of downtown uh, Dallas and we're like at the cusp of the country and the suburbs. But we're on a county out, so we never got quarantined the kind of way that the cities did. So we, you know, the restaurants are closed, uh, takeout only. But for the most part, we were still having parties. You guys were doing takeout you know? anyways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, it was kind of normal yeah. for us here. But yeah, it's it's a crazy mess, man. Like it's and now you know the conspiracy conspiracy theories are rolling out, and the uh, the flooding of what's true and what's not true and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense is now you know, uh, owning the airways and it just makes it hard to navigate life anymore with all this, you know, what's the agenda? What's the point? What's this? Like, you know what I mean? With all the shit going on. Yeah, so it's madness. I don't the, know. the last one I heard was today that COVID-19 is, uh, is the COV stands for certificate of vac- vaccination. And then mm-hmm. the ID COVID identification. And then 19 is AI. You know how Hell's Angels is 81? It's yeah. the eighth letter and, you know, the whatever. Oh, so yeah, AI yeah. is that 19, you know? Oh, so that's, that's a good, 
That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, shit, it makes too much sense. But fuck, man, we don't know what's happening. Nobody does. I, I don't think it's that serious anymore. Um, I think keeping people at home is obviously you know, against our, you know, our, our constitution. And I, I don't yeah. think it's going to last much longer. LA's already opening up little by little. People are already leaving their fucking houses. They don't even care. Traffic's well, already starting. But so we've I been do open. like the no traffic in LA. It, yeah, yeah it was two, great. three it months. Was great for a little bit. Is fucking amazing. Um, and then the 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 you have to be six feet away is pretty good because you you know it's a good reason to be six feet away from your wife. You know, like <laughs> following the laws, honey. You know, yeah. <laughs> sorry. You know what I'm what what I'm kind of predicting and noticing is you know we've been open for about two weeks now with uh like dine in in a sense we're only twenty five percent. But the fact that people have been cut off from being able to do these simplistic things now that they're opening it up and most places aren't opening up because it's not worth it as far as in there's financially, it makes them no, no money to open up 25% of their capacity when most restaurants can't even afford or they struggle with a hundred percent capacity. Right. So I think, and I'm included in this because I know how I've been feeling lately as I've just wanted to sit down and have chips and salsa and a goddamn enchilada from a place and you and people aren't opening or they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And it's like, well, what the fuck, man? Like either like this shit doesn't make sense. Just fucking do it or don't, you know what I mean? And I think more people are going to have way more anger and be way more fuel to fucking, you know, riot if riot you will, because, because of the fact that half stuff. the shit, yeah, <laughs> half the shit. It's like, it's like a D de- it's a, it's a tease, man. Like, Hey, here's the life you used to live, you know? Remember, <laughs> you can only live at twenty five percent. Yeah, my wife does hair for a living. She's a she's a barber. You know what I mean? Oh, and sure. and so they just opened up barber shops here. But the the way that they're making her have to do her job now, fuck that. I would rather just quit. Like it's horrible. I don't know if you. I, I don't know how to cut hair, but just knowing from her and what well, I we see, we all got the same haircut, so we obviously don't. Yeah, know we all do, right? <laughs> I got a buzzer. It ain't no one scissoring nothing, <laughs> nothing on my head. But they want her to wear rubber gloves to do the That's haircuts now. Man. Like, is- it's a feel thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you need to be able to feel the hair and feel it through your fingers. And when you put that layer of, of, of you know, a rubber glove, I, I feel like she, people are going to have shitty fucking haircuts. Or she's going to fucking slice her finger open and other things like that. Or she's going to cut the glove in the first, you know, in the first uh, cut that she does. And, and the guys, the, the, the people getting their haircut have to wear masks. Right, right. You know how fucking hard it's gonna be to cut someone's hair when you got straps ring- hanging around their ne- their ears, ears and shit. Like it makes no sense. Yeah, it's fucking. It, it's such a fucked up situation. I, I I don't know where where it's gonna end. I don't know how far it's gonna get. And the scary part is, is I know things are opening up. I think now we're at phase two. You know, they they created a four phase for you. You know, Los Angeles, but they were saying yeah. phase three is months away. Months away. It's like fuck. Businesses yeah, the, are people are gonna get fed up. People are gonna get fed up. You know what the you know what the weird thing about it is? I don't know how you guys can take this this I mean your opinion on it, but I feel like every year of my life or as I've gradually gotten older, I've realized that nobody is really doing things like you know when you're in you're in high school, you just feel like your parents have it figured out, right? Yeah. Or adults in general have it figured out, you know? You might not agree with them, but they have it figured yeah. out. Like life is okay down the road. And the older you get, like, okay, my parents didn't know what the fuck was going on. I don't know what the fuck. Now, I know at all, man. Then you start working somewhere, and you feel like your boss 
or, or you know, the owner of the company has it figured out, and then you get in your thirties, like that motherfucker's stupid too. You don't have and now <laughs> I'm going through that phase where okay, our government is full of shit now, dude. I don't trust Nobody them. I think knows. they're dumb. So the the thing is, man, and and, and this opened my eyes a lot. Uh, my grandpa was dying, and he's a guy that I I always since I was like a little kid, I always admired crazy, uh, and r- barely like two months before he died, I asked him. I was like, so do you feel like you're 87 years old or, 80, or 85 years old? I don't remember exactly. And he's like, no fucking way. Inside of myself, I, I'm still 17 or 19 and I have no fucking idea of what I'm doing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> that, is, that is so fucked up because we're following orders. Bro, the, the, the top of the army has no fucking idea what he's doing. Nobody knows what the fuck exactly. they're doing. Yeah, my, my mom's uh, 73 years old and, and she... She has her moments. She acts like a little kid. She acts like a thirteen-year-old, yeah. fourteen-year-old kid at times. Like I want this, maybe yeah. this. I want that. And 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 then if you get into an intellectual conversation, she's a very smart adult. But when yeah. it comes to making, you know, executive decisions and life decisions and career decisions, it's a child. Yeah, and there's just so many. You know, like I feel pretty young. You know, I have an eighteen-year-old daughter, and my daughter, you know, like I've done a lot of cool shit with her. She kind of looks at me kind of like I'm cool, I guess. But what she's, what kids her age are doing, you know, fuck, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what's cool for those dudes. They're on TikTok and that kind of shit now. I'm like, I can't do that. You know what I mean? So the, the, what I'm getting at is that the, 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 the distance between people in power and the generations coming up. And so you got, you know, a lot of people that are young and in college that are just starting to understand all the problems that the adults never figured out. And you get all this shit we've had the last couple of years, all this Me Too and social justice warrior and and all this other crazy shit that I'm so happy doesn't exist right now because it was a fuckery of of yeah. our country. Yeah, you know, I, it was and um, bad. yeah, it was bad. It you know, and it, I don't know, man. It, it's we. I don't think that like you know, as a millennial, as a first generation millennial, like uh, 82. I think it's 81 is the first year of it. Um, I don't feel like our my generation, you know, millennial in respects, has ever really had any real adversity in life. And this is probably the first one. And it's probably the first one for maybe even my mom's generation. She was born in 63. She was only eight whenever, like, the Vietnam War and shit came on. So it's like, I don't know if that would really affect her generation like uh, uh, someone in her 20s or 30s would have affected. You know what I mean? So it's really weird time, man. Like, this is... This is crazy. And it, what's even more crazier is like what happens after this thing? Like, does this turn into some real conflict with other countries? Does our country fall apart because of the, the, the already divided line between everything? Like it's a very scary time to be alive right now to see how this shit plays out. You know well, what I mean? I, I think what makes it even more scarier is the simple fact that we have access to too much information. And, you know, like yeah. you said, your, your, your mom was six years old at the Vietnam war, but you know, it was on the news, but her parents probably shut it off or told her to play with her, you know, Barbies or whatever the case was. Yeah. The thing is, right now, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old has access to all the, you know, the president said, grab her by the pussy, you know, the, so-and-so yeah. said this, yeah. they shot this, they did that. You Twitter. Know? Twitter, Instagram, porn, 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 you know, like, it, there, there's so much <laughs> access to to people that I think it's... I think it's too much and, and there's no way of controlling it ever. 
And I think that's yeah, so, so then you get the you know, you get the conspiracies and you get the fucking oh Bill Gates is trying to fucking take our brains and you know the ID twenty twenty like there, there's fucking too much. I mean, there's a whole platform on YouTube, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time, of flat earthers. I think they say yeah, people yeah. under the age of thirty five years old, there's like fifty percent or sixty percent believe the world's flat. That's crazy. <laughs> well, uh, so, there is there is one way of 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 looking at and and I look at it look at this from a person that was raised twenty five years in another country in Spain and then came mm-hmm. here and I've been here for eight or nine, um, and I look at the U.S. and it's mind blowing to me how people can believe what they tell them and not question it. You know, and yeah. when even you question something, they're like, turn around. They kind of like block. And they're like, no, 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 that, you, you should not talk about that. You, this, is a, this is a conversation we don't have here. You know, like, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I've learned to, well, through, through just looking at what people don't want to talk about, uh, assume that the consequences, the after consequences of an act is what the quote-unquote conspiracy was about. You know, that's the right version yeah. of them. And I'm going to put one that is really, really controversial. 9-11, right? Uh, the only way for me to look at 9-11 is it was an incredible terrorist attack, if you want to call it that way. There's definitely other conspiracies. But the result was a war against a country that they claimed, you know, that that was the source of the attack. Yeah, There's yeah. no way that we can prove that. But we for sure can prove that there was a war after. Yeah, so, so there's something there, and if there's a conspiracy that says maybe this was implanted, so there could be a war, you know, maybe it's not a hundred percent incorrect, you know. Well, not, and not only that, but you had the whole, you know, they found the the pilot that t- t- hijacked the plane. They found his passport, you know, on a New York street. So the yeah. hijacker flew a plane, crashed it into the twin towers, and in all that rubble, they found his passport. You know, like they couldn't find the plane, but right, building four lit up on fire without a plane crashing into it. It was like two, three blocks away. You know, you know, I remember that day that that happened. I was driving to work, and uh, I remember it was it was that. You know, I said what I said a while ago about that might be the first time in my generation, but I guess I forgot nine eleven. You know, it sucks that to say that, but I remember that time sitting there and how that that felt. I was actually. I just graduated high school three months before that, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, you know, the weird thing about it, like when, when you look at how divided our country has been for the last couple of years, uh, due to whatever reason, call it because nobody liked the president we had or what, whatever many reasons people decide that, you know, we gonna, we have to fight each other. Right. I just hope that that we're like that country that's going to fight with each other, bicker like siblings, if you will. But assuming if somebody comes and fucks with us, I hope that we have the nerve or the the smarts to get it together and be like, oh, fuck, no, you don't fuck with us. Only I fuck with that guy. You know what I mean? Right. So, and we kind of band to together. To, we, we've proven yeah. to have that over and over and over again. I don't think anybody questions our military or our power or our police or, you know, our, our, our servicemen, women. Um, I, I don't I don't think anybody will ever question that. They, they know that yeah. fuck with America, America will fuck you really hard exactly so and, and yeah so i'm hoping that that's the case <laughs> well the, well would you, you brought up a really good point the the division of 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 the country is playing a big role right now because um I, i've lived here through the moment when 
when Obama was president, right? Yeah. And I don't think there could be more of a divisive thing for the red uh, states than a black president. And I don't think that the red people were that crazy as the liberals are right now just because the president seems to be a person that doesn't control what they say, what he say. You know, that's the only well, thing he, you can say about this guy, about Trump, that he doesn't control what he's saying at all times, right? And that's the only thing they, so, but for the other people in the times of, of, of you know, of Obama, bro, the president was black. And that for a yeah. whole, that is a big statement. And nobody was revealing every week with, with, protests and stuff like they're doing now with Trump. It's, it, I think so, it's kind of crazy how the division has been augmenting through times. Well, that's, that's, that's 100% a result of access of us having a place to say what we feel. You know, Facebook, when, when, when Obama first became president in 08, uh, I, I think Facebook was just on the cusp of being able to, you could get on to Facebook without, you know, having a college email. It was within the uh, a year or two of that. I want to say it was like oh seven, or might have been the first year you can get on. Oh eight oh nine, I think. It uh, was oh eight oh nine. Okay, so you're looking at like you're looking at uh, tons of middle aged, you know, upper twenties, thirties, forties, fifty year old people finally getting this platform where a they can see their old high school buddies, but then also see videos from YouTube, and it, it made technology a little bit more easier and accessible because it was under one place, right? And so you get all these like things out there and, and, you know, I think people have always been highly, uh, you know, bipartisan towards like their party. You know what I mean? Uh, all the time. It's just now since 08 to now, we've all had a place to put a, a, a public forum, many public forums actually to, to voice that. I mean, Twitter came out in 08, I believe, or something like that. So you got to kind of associate the fact that like the way we view presidents now is because of everybody being able to talk and put all this information out, which might be dropping, you know, pieces of doubt in everybody's mind or, or whatever. Like you listen to these, all the conspiracies that take place. It, it, it's like, fuck man, that was a really well thought out thing that makes perfect sense. Right. Can't really deny it. Right. Whether well, it's true or not. That, that's that, that is the problem. The problem is they're so well produced, you know, some of these yeah. videos and some of these ideas that people are, are trying to, you know, make these videos, they put so much time and yeah. research into it that they make it sound like, fuck, this is the truth. This is, the yeah. world is flat. The flat earthers. The moon yeah. is fake, you know, uh, fucking, what, whatever the case is, that you, you can't. The problem is, is because there's so much information out there and they can mold it however they want, you can't believe just that. And the problem is, so, some people do believe just that. And then the, what, other, what, what also happens is, once you have one person, you know, convince, then another person starts falling into the rabbit hole and then they make a video, and now all of a sudden there's four or five videos saying the same thing, and it's like, come yeah. on, guys, there, there, there's more information, there's more proof showing that that's not true than the, than saying it is true on whatever the topics yeah. are. Also, back to the president, the Trump is obviously the first president that has used social media. Like, he yeah. is actively using you know, Twitter. He is actively using you know, you, you, I mean, I don't know if he does his Instagram post. I doubt that. But, like, he, he, I know those messages, he has an influence of what he's saying there. So it, it's yeah. kind of interesting to see how that's taking place. 
And whenever the time comes, if another president's going to use social media the way you know Trump does, yeah, Trump did. yeah, having not direct, I mean, a direct output output of his brain in any moment is definitely played a complicated. Yeah, it's amazing, it's but amazing. it's definitely played a complicated. It's absolutely role. amazing. Somebody sharing their thoughts, yeah. you know, hey, I feel this. Without a comedy of somebody just uh, filtrating what he should say publicly and stuff, it would be amazing. Yeah, Imagine I mean, Bush using Twitter. It would be amazing. That would be outstanding, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, um, you know, I have my I have two kids. I have a nine-year-old and a 18-year-old, and both of them are mixed, you know, with black. So I have two kids that that when Obama got, uh, you know, elected, I felt proud that my daughter, you know, who was the only one alive at the time could see, you know, that, that, you know, I don't know how to, how to A say this without sounding kind of, yeah, I want her to feel like, you know, no matter what, you know, her heritage on both sides is, you know, progressed to where like she can be a winner and um, no matter what, you know, where she's at, she's the best of both worlds right. more or less. And, um, and and you know, like I said, I mean, he was a very elegant president, man. Like, really was. Oh, I wasn't. Nobody was better I wasn't, than him. The way he spoke and the yeah. way he carried himself. Please, he was. I don't. I didn't know, etiquette. man. I was fucking. I was on MySpace trying to get laid, dude. I wasn't trying to follow the drones and the shit that was taking place. And that's you know that's completely my fault, you know, for not not or knowing the or caring. And yeah, but you know what it boils down to now that I'm in my thirties and, and business is a thing and, and like, how do I grow a business or, you know, what's the point of growing this business when, you know, if I hire employees and now I have, you know, all this shit I got to pay that I can't afford to, I can't afford to pay someone who does not know how to do their job $15 an hour period. Or, you or know, spend just, the money I training them hoping they'll it's going to cost it, me and then yeah. finding out, you know, they took another job for 25 bucks and, you know, Bled you out some money. You know, it, you know, the bottom line is I feel like most rational people in the world look at both sides of what these parties are made up on. And I think that they all find a common ground in between both of them. You know, some people might feel a lot more strongly about some of the hotter topics like abortion or, or welfare or whatever. But I think most of it falls down the middle to rational people to where they can be like, all right, so like we don't want the government in our shit. But we also want to be able to make money and grow our businesses and, and become wealthy or failures on our own terms. And you know what I mean? So it's just a weird world, man. It's like, I don't think that most of our country was founded on the fact that like, we're going to have social media and everybody can say what they want and, and everybody can do this. The craziest thing is, uh, and I, I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but it felt like people had more balls back in the 60s and 50s. Like, if they didn't like the president, they went after him. Why wouldn't you, you know, say that? That's like this. <laughs> you know, and then now all they do is repost and retweet and redo this. And I feel like it's just a bunch of pussies. Like, if you feel like that way, do something let, about let, it. Let me, you know let what me I mean? tell you something. I've read so much ignorant, dumb, stupid shit online that, I, it, that I've only seen it online. I have never yeah. in my fucking life seen anybody else walk up to somebody and, and express something that I've seen online the way they express it. it. It's so absurd. They're hiding behind the computer. They're hiding behind their user ID. They're hiding behind their, their phones. It, it's, 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 it's bullshit. This and is that, true. And this is why you can't read those comments. This is why you can't interact. This is why there's just bullies. They're not even bullies. They're, they're, actually, that's funny because... I always wanted to see how I can, you know, describe this. 
but I always talk about the new bullies. You know, the old school yeah. bullies would be, you know, the bigger guys picking on the smaller guys. And, you know, every now and then there'd be a beating up and, you know, it's a terrible thing. I think bullying is terrible. But that was the old school bullying. But the new bullying, the new bullies that I see now, I can't fucking stand them. And it's all these yeah. motherfuckers that, that, you know, I have freedom of speech. And, and they go to their police and they say, fuck you, pig. You, you don't know how to do your job. I pay your taxes. You work for me. You know, like that, that kind of bully of like, you know, yeah. people instigating fights, but then they're hiding behind the law. You know, like, yeah, fuck your yeah, motorcycle. Yeah. Your motorcycle is fucking loud and you should turn that shit down. And you're like, what? what? What are you saying, bro? Like, fuck off. You know, you can't talk to me like that. Like, there's some people fighting for, for certain rights that they would never do, but because there's these laws that they can, like, hide well, behind. Yeah. Hide behind. They're, they're in, I call them new bullies. Those are the new bullies for me, and I can't fucking yeah. stand the new bullies. One of the greatest things about being a biker is that I think that most of us, in especially in the Harley world, um, is that a lot of us aren't that way. You know what I mean? Unless you bring your wife around, which might be that way. <laughs> You know, but most of us dudes are like, you know, like we get on our bike and we just want to fucking drink beer and shoot the shit and complain about life a little bit here and there and just fucking, you know, go about it. Like, we're not trying to be like, hey, bro, do you see the bathrooms? They don't have a fucking neutral bathroom, dude. We cannot come back right. here anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, that's well, not I'm really a problem. About that, like that, Prius drivers, you know? Oh, like, fuck you, Yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> you know that. That's not really a problem that I think that most of us as as bikers kind of uh, find ourselves in those kind of dilemmas where, you know, we just don't like it. I feel like it's not as as prominent in, in our industry. So I think we're kind of sheltered from it a little bit. But I don't know with these electric bikes coming out that might bring all the pussies. So we'll see how that works. Yeah, we got to see how that fucking plans out. We definitely got to see how that plans out. Are there any electric companies out there right now? Uh, for motorcycles or just cars in general? No, no, motorcycles. Motorcycles. Like out here in California, we have uh, zero. Zero, yeah. Zero? Yeah, zero. And uh, basically Harley. I'll be honest it. with you. And then Harley just started, I, you know, theirs. I haven't, you know, I don't have much of an opinion on that or much of a, like I've never, I was never interested in it, you know. I'll be honest with you, the the fairing looks cool. I'd take the little, small little nacelle fairing they have and put it on a different bike, but I don't have a desire to have that bike. And if, if, you know, that's well, hypothetically, the direction. Hypothetically, if, yeah. if, if you were able to pick it up for 10 grand, would you get it? Yes or no? Absolutely not. I, I would not 100%. So zero. There, there's no desire in it for me. You know, there, there's nothing appealing about it. You know, I, I had the opportunity to go ride one at a dealership, and still, I just like, I would rather work than go ride that bike. There's just nothing about it that, uh, now I could be completely biased and completely just sitting here with my arms crossed pounding pouting but uh it could be an amazing ride i don't know but i just i, I you know harley davidson has a soul and that soul is is the is that bike tapping all your senses you know smelling the gas and oil feeling the vibrations hearing the vibrations or hearing the noise and and feeling the you know those all come from touching that motorcycle and when you don't have a sound uh when it doesn't even sound like it's you know what I mean like you you lose a lot of that the only thing you feel is the road I, I I'm know? curious about the about to, to see how how the new engine from the Pan America um yeah works I am as because well because with the Milwaukee 8 they reduced a lot of the vibration 
And yeah. yeah, I mean, slowly they are cutting off a little bit what you're saying that is the soul of Harley Davidson. Because, yeah. Do, do, the new, do the new bikes. Do we know what, what, what motor? Is it counterbalance? Is it going to be. It's a brand new one. That to my knowledge, it's going to be. Is it, you know, is it mounted counterbalance? Uh, to my knowledge, the new motor, which I don't know a lot of information about, but the water cooled. And the overhead cams are going to allow for it to make a lot more horsepower than, a, you know, a single or a twin cam, you know, push rod setup. And the water cool is going to make for a much higher horsepower motor as well. Um, like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm just regurgitating yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking shit I've heard. Um, but the new motor, like I said, you know, these new bikes that are coming out with the, the Pan American stuff. I look at that as like I, I kind of have a little bit more respect for that type of progression. Because they're trying to, you know, you know, advance in their market, but still, look, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad they're making an electric bike. It's just not for this market or for me and my hoodlum friends. It's just not. I don't think so. No, no, I, but I, I, I get that one hundred percent. That, that, that. She should. They, they should still make it. They should still pursue this and, and as they a, are. as a smart they, company. They are, but they, they really, they really should have put a pause and, and before getting this started, they should finish tuning up what they currently have. They, um, true, you know, true. but that's not happening now that they got it out. I think I haven't taken it out in a spin. I kind of, I honestly don't even have a thought on it, you know, other than yeah. $33,000 for a bike that goes a hundred miles. Uh, not cool. And, and mind you, you're still buying electronics. And if we can and tell you first anything generation. about electronics, who wants to buy a seven year old iPhone right now? Cause that's how long it's going to take you to pay that motherfucker off. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And th that the price yeah. range. So that that's why that's why I was asking jokingly, but being serious at the same time. For ten grand, would you buy it? For ten grand, I probably would be like, you know what, fuck it, I'll give it a uh, try. But thirty three thousand dollars? Come on, who are we kidding? I think it's just too far yeah. from Harley Davidson. You know, they've done no one step, but two at, at once. They they decided the to go. Remember those Harley Davidsons that we make that are loud and look classic. Well, now we're doing a street fighter that is electric. And you're like, what? What the heck happened here? You know, I think yeah. they should have experimented a little bit to put, you know, an, in, uh, an yeah, electric a electric engine on a, a street bob. You know, something that so, was more appealing, at least physically to the... Well, the other thing we got to understand, and we got to accept this, guys, is that the younger generation, the younger generation you were talking about that we were agreeing on, they're, they're not jumping on bikes right now. You know, the, there's no, there, there's nothing cool about it to them. The, you know, in my opinion, um, you, as bigger companies, like as my company, I have to make these helmets desirable for people to want them, not just do them, not just offer a, a $2,000 helmet. I got to, you got to feel like you're buying into like a club, uh, uh, feel like you're buying into this, this, this more tit uh like niche based group of people like this tribalistic kind of you got to tap into that and with the new harleys you know instead of reinvesting and finding ways to help market more of their stuff into mainstream like helping funnel money into the actual industry of motorcycles to be more in uh appealing maybe they should have somebody on the board to get more states to legalize lane splitting to make it more a part of everybody's day-to-day -day culture more people would buy motorcycles if they could commute that way. You know, there's so many other ways that, that motorcycling can become more popular in America. But with our, with the way like corporations are working, they're only concerned about how much they can, how least they can spend and how much money they can make. And so what I'm saying is 
they're not investing in the actual culture we have here. They, they have no investment in it. They, they hire, you have all these amazing people out here, you know, creating Harley-based content that makes their shit popular for many people. And yet they go find people in, in colleges that have never ridden a bike and they're trying to throw them on there to make them bikers instead of using the people that are already passionate about, about this stuff out here and helping them spread their message because their message is authentic and real. You know, there's a lot of ways you can look at maybe a different way of making motorcycles appealing to other people. And sometimes it's not about the bike that they're buying. It's about what they're buying into. And right. But, those- I, but, but, but I do believe the current people you're talking about us, we know that already. And, and there's no, I'm, I'm not, I'm talking business wise. There's yeah, yeah. no point of marketing to an audience that's already committed to the brand and the lifestyle, you know, cause True. they're, they're going to continue buying. The marketing strategy is why the fuck are people under 30 years old, not interested in Harleys? Because they haven't seen anything that interests them about it. Right. But, but so we but, grew but, up what, with, what, what, what is that? Is that movies? You know, there's not enough motorcycles in yeah. movies. Is that, hundred uh, percent. We're not promoting lifestyle, but I mean, with social media and Instagram, like for me, for for example, the reason I would think why that's a little slow right now is because we're we're in a shared economy, and we're in a spot where I can get an Uber. You know, to, you know, Matt, imagine being eighteen years old right now. You can have a fucking Uber take you wherever you want. You can get a girl by swiping fucking left or right. You you can mm-hmm. order something on Amazon and get instant gratification delivered to your house. Like that's, that's, that's interesting. Like that's already enough reasons that if I was 18, maybe I wouldn't even be thinking about motorcycles because I'd be like, fuck, I, I got Tinder and I got Uber. Plus you add what yeah. you said before that the old bully is not cool anymore. Right. And so, then the old bully. Yeah, exactly. The old Cause being, we are a representation of the right. old bully. So I, I, I don't know. This is a, of. this is a wild theory. This is a wild theory that might play out, but I feel like, like many of us, maybe, you know, maybe not you guys, but. Many of us hit our 30s and we all question. We all had that form of midlife crisis. Maybe not crazy enough to go buy a yellow Corvette, but we all have that point in our life where we really question the first 15 years of our adulthood and the decisions we made. Are we doing things? Are we living the life that we thought we would have as a kid, as a young adult? Are we anywhere close to this idea of success? And for some people, that might be like, fuck, man, like a motorcycle used to be that yellow Corvette for some people and they would find that passion. And, you know, it just wasn't appealing when you're in college and you see these dirtbag dudes coming to the bar, you know, being assholes and stealing and grabbing your chick's ass. You know what I mean? That might be their motorcycle taste of watching, you know, Harley Davidson and the Marble Man or some shit. Right. When's the last time you had a cool movie motorcycle related that, that didn't come off like a very exclusive type of situation to get into? Well, tell me when was you the know? last time you saw a motorcycle in a movie? Well, I mean, I think it was Venom. Venom, you? Yeah. yeah, Venom. I mean, you could say that that was in there. Mission Impossible. I wish the helmet was kind of cool. Though. Yeah, Mission Impossible was cool, but like when you see something that's more like, but Harley, yeah, John Harley Wick, was. John Morley, Wick, more, John Wick, more based around motorcycles in a sense. Like honestly, like Sons of Anarchy probably did so much for our industry that that all the cool guys don't want to say it did. Bottom oh, line is that show so was interesting did. and fun. Huh? It so did. It 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 changed everything. It I mean, sales went up and the Dyna Bros are out now because of it. Like it it, it changed. Yeah. It really that, sparked up. 
that show, along with guys like Unknown and the and the Willie scene, made Harley Davidson's popular amongst the early twenty year olds. Um, in my opinion, now those numbers might not reflect Harley because these dudes are buying fucking Dinas that they're you know that they're O ones and O twos and O threes and O nines. They're not buying brand new soft tails, but it might just be that dip of that investment you need to make as a company to build your clientele. If they love the Harley so much, then they're eventually going to buy a new one if they, you know, grow into it's, it. Dude, I couldn't. Harley ahead. was so not aware of this that the first season of Sons of Anarchy was not backed up by, by Harley. Bobby was riding yeah. a triumph until second season when he jumped in. in. That's so strong. It's crazy that there is a show that is going to be based only and purely on motorcycles, and Harley doesn't say, this is my chance. This is mind-blowing. Well, a lot of people these days like to support you after you make it successful. They don't want they don't want to take the time to invest in people anymore, you know? Like, everybody wants to be on the podcast after I've already done 100 of them, you know? Right. After I've already put in the work, but, you know, some people didn't didn't care to do it at the, at the beginning, you know? So the same thing with the show. It's like they went ahead and made it, and now Harley wants to be on it. So if they would have helped make it, they would, if Harley was there oh, to help, it it they'd probably get a much better deal on those marketing uh, negotiations as they did when they didn't help. And then came along, you yeah. know, one of the best motorcycle things I ever watched was, uh, the long way round and long way down with the Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. Yeah. It best shit. And one of the best things they said in there is that, uh, KTM turned down working with them on those bikes, giving them bikes and BMW did. And now you look at BMW over the last almost 20 years now is hands down the adventure bike on the road. It's the Cadillac of adventure bikes. And a lot of that has got to do with the marketing of, of a show like that Absolutely. that was wildly popular. Absolutely. I also, I, I think I mentioned this before on other podcasts, but I also believe the problem with Harley Davidson is they're, they're focusing on, on the stockholders. Yeah, they're not sure. they're not sure. focusing on the riders. They're not focusing on the dealerships. You know, the dealerships are all privately owned. They're all franchised. And I think Harley, you know, so think about it as a rider, Harley's bringing out an electric bike. You, him, me, we're like, why the fuck? What's the point? You know, we don't care. The bikes are fine. Continue making what you're making and make them better. Bigger motors, you know, yeah. ABS, uh, traction control, whatever the case is. Interfaces like Apple CarPlay. Interface with, yeah, <laughs> you know my, thank you, yeah. right? I got a 2020, yeah. you got a 2019, and we don't even have an interface. They said they can flash it. But anyways, the point is, is I think, and I've heard this from, from many franchise owners, they're so focused on the stockholder by introducing a new bike, the stockholders say, holy shit, that's great. Let's invest some more. Now they bring the Pan America. Oh, that's awesome. And then they go and, they, and they're, they're doing this. And every bike they release, the stockholder gets excited. But then they're allocated to each dealership. So dealerships are pra practically forced to buy them. So then Harley says, see, look, all those bikes we made, they're sold. So now stocks continue going up. And now all the decisions are all business, you know, business decisions and not rider decisions. And I think that's yeah. the biggest problem that we're having and dealing with with Harley Davidson. Yeah, I mean, it's... And uh, I'm not sure if that's the fact, but that's what I've heard. That's what makes sense. That's what kind of explains everything that's going on right now. Yeah, and I mean, dude, the, I mean, I know this is probably a very uh, ignorant way of looking at, at business, but, you know, if motorcycles aren't selling as hardcore as they used to, dial it back, bro. You know, my business was not doing great as a full-fledged balls-to-the-wall business. I dialed it back. I'm, I'm putting out quality products 
and I'm making a good living. And if they can find a way to, to uh, fluctuate their business with the times, which I don't know if that's possible with shareholders and that type of shit, but maybe it should be, you know, maybe they should loosen up the restrictions on their, their, um, their dealership franchises and allow them to sell aftermarket parts and maybe inspire more people to want to buy and not their bikes because them. they opened up their own exactly. Amazon store. And I, again, I said this a thousand times, but how can yep. Harley Davidson open up an Amazon parts store and take away business from their franchise owners? Like how yep. fucked up is that? Where are those hardcore badass motherfuckers of the sixties? that would go up to the CEO and bust them in his fucking mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those are the kind of things you need. You know, but yeah, like that, there, people are going to continue to be greedy and it'll be the death of a lot of things. But I think that, um, I think that Harley will survive. Honestly, yeah, I they, think of course that, they will. if anything, somebody will buy it and that, that does want to keep it alive. Once it's kind of gone down to pennies on the dollar, maybe we should, someone will, when they, yeah, <laughs> we, we should fucking absolutely buy it. We go back to those yeah, bicycles yeah. with engine with the, the first ones <laughs> in 1903. It's really tough, man. Like it, it's hard to. You know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm ever going to have to worry about things like that. You know, I mean, I, I do, the motor company needs to stay alive, you know, for a lot of reasons, but for some fucking crazy reason, they didn't, there's so many bikes out there. We're going to be good for a while. No, we're you know? absolutely going to be here. Here's the thing. I, I, I've traveled, I look, I've traveled to China, India. I've traveled to a lot South America, all these countries, scooters and motorcycles are the number one ways of transportation. It's mm -hmm. insane how many scooters and motorcycles you see outside of the United States. It's from what I've seen, I seen, I would easily say it's 50, 50. I want to say more to be honest, but I'm going to say, I could yeah. easily say 50, 50 to the countries that I've been that I see scooters and motorcycles as the number one form of transportation. So, yeah. you know, yeah. the U S is obviously, that's why when, when Harley, the, Harley opened up their factory in India, Last year, two years ago, two years ago, they ended up, uh, no, when Trump came in, I think a year later, they ended up making a factory in India. and the Yeah, but that was for overseas but bikes. But that's for not overseas for, yeah. bikes, exactly. That's because of yeah. the, the exporting laws and stuff. That's not to make yeah. American bikes. I'm not saying that. They would never do that. At least they haven't done that. But they opened it up mm -hmm. for overseas bikes to sell to Europe, uh, China, you know, whatever, all those, all those other places. But those factories, I bet you are killing it. I bet you are killing yeah, it, and, and they have no issues. They're not. They're not even concerned about this conversation that we're currently having. Yeah, and they're probably also making a surplus that's not ridiculous. You know, like they're not overproducing, and with the expectations of of like having growing numbers every year. I mean, they may be. I don't know, but like the market for Harley over there is is very popular. But you know, with all the licensing laws for a lot of those states or those countries. And, and bigger CC engines, it's very complicated for people to get their hands on well, those Oh, not only sometimes. that, but remember, one of the benefits of the, you know, the United States has is we have financing. We can finance yeah. whatever the fuck we want. Over there, you know, if you see somebody riding a Harley, they're fucking balling. They, they spent $30,000, yeah. $40,000 cash. Holy shit. Cha-ching. Like, yeah. yeah, I like it. I have the money. Here it is. And you got to give more credit to them. Sometimes I do get a little yeah. of uh, hate from Instagram of reality. Because I get a private message from somebody in India, and they're like, "Hey man, do you like your you like the your BMW?" And I was like, "Man, I love it." He's like, "Well, I've been I've been thinking about one for a long time." I was like, "Yeah, you should buy it, bro." <laughs> and he's like, uh, "This is India, yeah. remember? Uh, we we don't yeah. get paid here, you know. We that's a twenty five thousand dollar motorcycle. That's not something that I can 
I can buy like that is yeah. Yeah, man, that's uh that's the thing about it all, dude. It's uh it's stressful. I mean, you add, you know, the the ups and downs that every company is going to be taking right now, you know. I mean, think about I mean, think about this just on the on the step side, but think about how much products out there for the car industry, the race industry in general that make their their money off the fact that races take place, that that NASCAR takes place, that that all those little smaller events take place and with them not doing it, companies are going to struggle. Like I feel like most of the motorcycle shops that are, you know, uh, small mom and pop style shops, brick and mortar or online parts sales, we're doing good. But the manufacturers that are out there that have to produce uh, hundreds of helmets to, to fill race car drivers, they're hurting because no races, no, no helmets go out, you know, for those industries, you know what I mean? And so I think that, you know, with all this, this, the shutdown shit taking place, um, it ain't that those factories are shut down. It's just that there's nobody buying the shit. So eventually we might not have seen like the worst of our economic downturns until maybe another month or two or three months from now. You know what I mean? It could be, I don't know, man. That's what scares me is the, uh, is the, the, the down the road thing of a lot of the things in the motorsports industries, uh, taking a huge hit in the long run. Yeah. I, I, um, I think, I think most, most events, most races, most NASCAR, most Daytona's, I think, I think, Pretty much everybody's canceled out for this year. Yeah, I think now we're scheduled. I believe that now we're scheduled for for next year, and and it, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of fucking. I mean, already a lot of people have lost a lot of fucking money. You know. Yeah, it, and there's it, no bailouts for those guys. You know what I mean? And and uh, they're small industries, and, and they're big industries, but they're they're small in comparison to, you know, the the ones that are going to get bailed out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's scary. Look, so we're not getting towards the end on such a negative note. Whatever yeah, needs yeah. to fucking take place needs to take place. This is America and we always come out of it fucking strong. You know, World War One, yeah. World War Two, Vietnam, whatever the fucking case is, we always find a way to, to mm-hmm. overcome it and, and get things done financially. You know, we just got through yeah. 2008, not too long ago. Everybody says we're never going to recover from that. We recovered and we're stronger than ever, you know, and now same thing. Yeah. This is going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult, but well, I promise you in a year mm-hmm. from now, we'll, we'll, you know, we're not going to be laughing, but we're going to be in a better place and hopefully things will be that much closer to being normal again. Forget a year ago, six months from now. That's what I'm calling. Yeah. We're yeah. In May I now. totally agree. Fucking I say, I say November. November, everything will be back to normal, and we'll be we'll be riding by then too. Now, well, we're riding now, but I'm saying you'll be in California. We'll yeah, be riding for sure. So I think that's what that. <laughs> I have a all. question for both of you guys. Um, okay. What do you guys with What would you guys think if Harley would have decided to take off all those four gauges that you guys have in your street light and rock light, and put a Tesla screen there to substitute all that shit? An LCD screen. So instead of our gauges, our, our speed, tack, uh, gas, oil, if it was just yeah. an LCD screen, do you think that'd be super awesome or super distraction? Uh, or it will kill the spirit. And I, it plays I feel Netflix. Like, uh, no, I'm kidding. Not the Netflix <laughs> part. No. Nah. Um, 
I don't know if I would want to see it all in one center. You know what I mean? Like, but no, it'd be, di- like, it'd be say divided that, up. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. if you look at the Mercedes, their dash is just a screen. It's digital, yeah. But when it powers on, it's a di- it, it could still show the exact same thing. You, there's a switch, yeah. and it'll still be old school. But I don't want to pay 50 grand for a bike for that CVO model. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that happens that's, on that's your fucking true. That's easily a fucking yeah. five thousand dollar markup. You know, if that's a yeah, it's a if that's a three thousand dollar set of gauges compared to the uh the eight hundred dollar gauges $3, that are upgraded to the CVOs. That's not even worth three thousand dollar engagement. Imagine somebody right, crashing yeah. and breaking it. Jesus. No, so, and then your bike's out. What? Right? Imagine somebody just slapping it around with a beer bottle or something. The fact that they haven't made firmware or program updates or whatever the term is to make a more interfaceable um, system. Like it, to me, it, it's hard to type in shit on your, your, uh, your, your navigation to go places like, dude, how come I can't just swipe my phone up to it? Like a TV these days. So if I pull up Google maps on my phone and I find the location, how come it can't interface to my phone and swipe up and then damn, it's you right can. there on it. They just blocked it intentionally. Yeah. Why? I have no idea. But that's, there's even a flash they were talking about that the dealers mm-hmm. can do, but they're not supposed to do it, so they don't. Now they, they block them, man. Yeah, now they now they block them. That was the thing. They had a flash. Dealers would flash your, uh, your bike. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. You get the Apple car, and you could totally do that. But why yeah. do they do it? I, I have no fucking idea. Because they're trying to create yeah, an app, and they want you to I- download their app. And use their app, and you know the problem is their their app, BMW's app, Harley's app. They yeah. suck. I don't want to have two more apps on my phone. I want to use yeah. my phone with your your, your motorcycle. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I mean, we already are putting our phones on on the damn Ram mounts, and not that I don't really like you the use, look of having Ram my mount? huge ass. Yeah, I do. No, for we use quad, right we now. Use quad locks. I've been looking into that because the the footprint left behind once I take my phone off is not as noticeable than a big claw. Yeah. But um, the the whole idea is like I have these compartments where I would much rather put my phone in there, right? If it really interfaced, if I could literally put my phone in there and I don't have to have it in front of my face, I feel like my phone's a bigger distraction than anything, yeah. right? Of course. So I, when you're riding down the road and you're getting fucking binged on Instagram messages and all this, you're like, fuck, I need I need to answer this or whatever. It's like I'd rather put that in the cubbyhole and have all the important shit pop up on my screen, like easier to get around navigation, uh, things that it, actually it would have focus like just on the driving stuff. Period. Yeah, you know, like just there, there's so many like I feel like I'm on the first generation of MapQuest on that fucking uh, GPS on that on the bikes when there's so many more so much more information on the Apple CarPlay one or the Apple version of it or the Google Maps, which is what I prefer to use on everything, you know, even having real time, like for the most part, you get some of the cops like radar in on there. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. How I, nice would I, that I be? Waze. Yeah. Waze. But now Google Maps has it as well. I don't think it's as good. Well, it's but, funny because Waze, you know, Google bought Waze like six years exactly. ago, but nobody knows that. But it's both Google. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm what I, you know, those kind of things would be simplistic updates or upgrades to these Harleys that, that I feel like we should get without having to pay a CVO premium for that technology. You know what I mean? Like these bikes are expensive. Don't get me wrong. I fucking love my bike. You know what I mean? My 2019 C or not CVO, but a uh, road glide special. Love the bike. Yeah. Great bike. I was going to ask um, the special. I got the street lights. Yeah. So great bike. Love it. But you know, for that price tag, man, 
there there really should be a little bit more emph- emphasis on the technology. And I'm hoping that with the pressure from the uh, the challenger that, you know, I don't really give two shits about Harley's inverted front end. They can keep it for all I'm concerned with. But maybe upgrading to radial brakes would be a, an ideal thing. Um, better interface system, maybe a couple little odds and ends. The bikes look fucking phenomenal. I'm good with the looks. What what pipes did you, you know, go with? Uh, I ended up doing the TBR, uh, the shorty. I, I like the short pipes. You know, the the performance bagger look is something we've we've been proponents for since the the birth of it, if you will. Um, and I just like that look of the bike. I like being able to see the swing arm, the rear wheel. Um, I don't know if the TBR actually makes good power or not. I've heard it kind of robs quite a bit of power personally. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you dyno it and get, and get results? No, nah. no, I never did. I, I I ended up running a Thunder Max, which does all the uh, the self tuning type thing. I, I'm not a nerd for the power and stuff. It feels good putting a cam in those bikes puts amazing, it to where it should have huh? been stuck. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean. That's one of the things that sucks about Harley is is their uh, what was the uh, all the the detuning they had to do these bikes to meet regulations and shit like that. Oh, so you we've basically been dealing get with that in California for fucking years. Yeah. So you get like a the one fourteen and it comes with eighty six horsepower stock and like ninety something or hundred and five torque or something like that. So it has the illusion of it's fast as fuck, but realistically it falls off later on in the uh, in the in the power band, but. You throw a cam in that bike and it immediately wakes it up to 105 and like 120 torque. And you feel like this is the way it should have came from when you were selling me a 114. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, I should have been able to throw another cam in there to get me closer to 120. Um, but like I said, man, like it, you know, I'm they're like the they're like the bad relationship that's really good at sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, it's like you're just like fuck, I man. Like why are you so you. good? You're so fucking good in bed, and like, fuck. You have none of the qualities that I need for a wife, but goddamn, you're fun to have sex with. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The thing you so, do with your tongue, goddamn it, fuck. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> God, yeah. I gotta go ride you. <laughs> yeah, that that, that Harley, Harley does that. It, it is love and hate. It's a love and yeah. hate relationship. Uh, besides Harley, uh, this is one of Hyman's favorite questions. I'll ask it. Harley doesn't exist. It never existed. You don't know Harley. What motorcycle would you choose? Um, I kind of butchered the question, but you can fix it if you want. Well, but that's the. Uh, what would you be riding if there well, was no Harley? I mean, if there just was no Harley today, I'd probably be on on some form of an adventure bike. But I do like the. I, I am kind of motivated with the way things look more than the way they. Not not more, but my first thing is that curb appeal. You know what I mean? And I, I I'm in love with the the BMWs, the GS 1200s, just their their stance, their their aggressiveness. I love that look. You know, a lot of people are talking about the Africa Twin, uh, some of the KTM's, and I just don't feel like they have that same kind of uh, sinister look that I like in a bike. You know, um, I rode sport bikes for a lot in my life, but I, I just the I, I can never have fun on there legally at all. At all. You know I agree what I mean? with you one hundred percent. So even car wise, and I can't when drive I was a yeah, car on the fucking street legally, like that's yeah. not gonna happen. So I, my whole twenties was like getting away with murder, basically. And you know, as I got older and and like uh, you know, you don't play your odds as much anymore when you get in your thirties. I think at least not for me. And so the Harley just made sense. And plus, I got bored with it, man. And and you know, motorcycles for me, it's like. I have to find something to to inspire me to want to keep doing this because, you know, for me, the last 10 years has been traveling on bikes. 
And I don't see, uh, I, I go to California every year and I'm like, fuck, this is so fun and exciting. And I do it every year. I don't, I do the same thing every year and it's still as amazing as it was the first time I did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I don't know, man. Like I, to me, it's all about whatever I can travel on, you know? And, and right now I guess I'm so biased because everything I want is, is Harley based. Um, I don't, I mean, I like those old like cafe style, like triumphs and shit. Like I'm into that shit, but I I just don't know if it would, you know, fit the lifestyle. I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it's it's a it's a hard probably, question. What about the Indians? Oh, I, I'm not a fan at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, I'm not that big. Of a it's fan not that I've taken a few out for a spin. I wasn't performance handling, sound, nimbleness. I I, I didn't like them. For me, it's like I think it, I'm a little bit pissed off more at how many fake ass people I've met, and I mean this in the friendliest way possible. That sounds very friendly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's it. That's the worst way to do it. I. When Indians started dropping these new products, they were also dropping checks to people to influence their bikes for them. There's, there's right? still yeah. And so a lot of those dudes that were getting checks, when you meet them in person and you talk about the bike, they would still be riding a Harley if those checks weren't, if, if those checks bounced then they're off the bikes. And so um, to me, I feel like that's kind of like selling your soul for, for a check. You know what I mean? Which I don't know. I don't like that. I, I think that, if hard, if, if Indian built a really nice bike that gave everybody the same feeling, then, you know, maybe they wouldn't have to pay people to ride them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But their, pro- their, their bikes could be amazing. I, the FTR looks like a fun ass bike to ride. The challenger probably, you know, stylistically, I could probably get over that if it wasn't so cheaply made. When you sit on that bike and you you touch the hand controls, you feel like you're touching the hand controls on a Kawasaki 500. When you open the saddlebag, you feel like you're opening your saddlebag on some aftermarket bags. That, like that a Harley cheap would, aftermarket there's no, bags. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a quality-made motorcycle. Now, you do get the... Uh, it's, it's In another chick analogy, it is a attractive chick that's covered in makeup with fake tits, fake everything. With bad fake and then tits. Once, Hold on, because there's some nice ones. Bad no, no, fake yeah. tits, a botch job. Yeah. It's a botch job. Exactly. So it, it just, it, it, it's the illusion of what you think you want when you buy a motorcycle. But, you know, they're, you know I, I can buy my Harley, and then I can add an inverted front end, or I can add suspension to it at no, no big deal. But there's no there there's a joy when you buy something like that and you put it on your bike like fuck this is so dope i can't wait to ride it when you get a indian you have to replace gay ass bullshit like hand controls to have quality ones you're like yo this is going to change my riding experience <laughs> it's not, not at all. it just makes your shit not look cheap you know and it, it you know you can't you know i'm kind of arguing an aesthetic right now which is kind of unfair but the bike just doesn't feel solid. It doesn't feel well. Riding wise, I, I agree with you. When when I've taken I've taken a few of them out for a spin, I, I felt like it didn't feel like a solid bike. It didn't feel like yeah. a performance bike. It didn't feel like a well planned out bike. It just it was all looks. It was all looks. The yeah. bearings, the grips, everything you know, plasticky. Like I I just wasn't a fan. I mean, it it looks yeah. great from in pictures. Um, but you know, as a rider and for writing, you know, 20 years, if not longer, um, it's definitely not, not in my, my list of anything. 
right now. I think mo- most lifers or most people that are in the motorcycle in- or motorcycling as a biker for the long run are always going to take some kind of personalization stance at their bike. Maybe not to the extent of some people with full custom bikes, but pretty much everybody buys a Harley and they make it there somehow. You know, the ones that don't don't make it theirs, it was they just bought it because they were looking for something to do, and then it sat in the garage for twenty years, and then you get a barn find FXR. That's what that is, right? Right. But people that really love motorcycles, they're gonna jump on it. They're gonna they're gonna change a couple things because if they're anything like I am now, if it's the nineteen nineties, they were in fucking hot bike and street chopper trying to find something cool to add their bike and make it represent them in some kind of way. And that's why there's such a huge culture in customizing motorcycles because that's what we do. Yeah. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes it yours. You can buy this little bitty machine compared to a car and add all your things to it that, that, that make it yours. And Indian doesn't quite have that market for that yet. Yeah. Know? That's an, another thing. And, and, and I think we're going to end it soon. We're at yeah. two hours and 50 <laughs> minutes, but that's, that's yeah. another beautiful thing. You can sell a thousand, you know, Dinas, low riders, and none of them look the same. They're all completely yeah. different. They're all styled different. They all have different bars. It's completely different. And that's, that's one beautiful thing that Harley did do right, that they let people personalize their, their vehicles, their motorcycles. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't quite let us, but, you know, we're bikers and we do what the fuck we Absolutely. want. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm happy they finally jumped on the train to encourage it because there was a moment that the only way you can customize it was aftermarket. But now they're even offering nice, you know, things. Well, yeah, they see the money. In of course, it, so of they course see the money, but it, it took but... them a while. But um, I want to. There's some. Yeah, no, go I was going to say I want to thank you for letting us be on your oh, podcast. I, I want to, yeah, yeah. you know, thank you for being on our podcast, and we're definitely going to have to catch up. And I think the next podcast we'll do is when you're in California, and we'll do this in person, and we'll fucking film nice, everything nice. if you're down. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Like I, I didn't know what to expect, man. I didn't know how it was going to go. Like both of us you. podcasting together to release it, and. uh you actually had a good time, man. So fuck yeah, oh, and, I appreciate and, and, and this guy. Just talking like this. I mean, imagine one, once we once we do this in person with some beers. Yeah, some we're gonna whiskey. have to talk. We're gonna have to stop. Yeah. yeah, you better not get any alcohol involved because then I'll never leave. Fuck It'll be hurt. a six hour six hour <laughs> no, episode. Fuck that. We'll do a twenty four hour run. We'll do the longest yeah. podcast ever aired. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, that'd be it. That what's the Guinness Book of World Records? We need to look that up before we start this. <laughs> let, let, let's yeah, first of all, let's look it up. But if it's twenty four hours, we can fucking do that, no problem. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, cool, guys. I appreciate it, man. Uh, fuck, thanks. Hey, Thank you so much. What's y'all's podcast thing. for my I, listeners? I have to say this. You're fucking a good dude. Continue Thank doing you. the photography. Continue being as ethical as you are. Continue being you. Uh, I said it earlier. You're a fuck. You're already a millionaire. Is uh, it enough? You're already a fucking millionaire. Fucking I appreciate that, guys. Girl. Thank you so much. Tell man. everybody on my podcast, y'all, what yours is called. Ride Boundless, the Ride Boundless podcast. You can find it. It says Ride Boundless with Robert Valderrama and my good boy Jaime. And it's uh, you got it on uh, Instagram, iTunes, yeah, Instagram's Ride Boundless. Uh, Web page is RideBoundless.co.co. Um, and then I'm working on the, all the other you know social media. But for sure, check out the um, the Instagram. The Instagram. Again, Jaime has been doing the photography. He's he's been it's on amazing. fire. Yeah. Like fucking what he's been doing is amazing. Real good. Yeah, but they can find it in, yeah. in Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, Google, sorry, yeah, I'm, Google I'm pa- Podcasts, yeah, Spotify, the- everywhere. Cool, cool. Thanks, guys. Well, yeah, 
Appreciate it, man. Shoot out yours real quick for everybody. <laughs> oh, uh, the Fast Life Podcast. Make sure you put the word the in front of it. And uh, we're on everything, YouTube, um, all the podcast apps that I know of. I think we're on there. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing it for a while. So there's plenty of shit. There's plenty of stupid shit I've said on there. You can go <laughs> critique me on if you Fuck want. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see your YouTube videos, too. Please do that. One day. One day. Soon. Hopefully. Thank you for, st- for being here, man. All right, brother. All right. Thank you, guys. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so very much for listening. If you liked it, please make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, on everywhere, wherever you're listening to this, there's a subscribe button. Please click on it. It helps the podcast. It helps the guests. It helps all of us. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at Ride Boundless to see amazing pictures and contents and videos of the people we are speaking to. Until then, see you next week. Ride safe. Ride hard, ride boundless.